Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. As usual, I am your host, George Santrizos, and today my guest is my very good friend, Francesco Miele. Frank and I went to Egypt together, and as long as I can remember, among his most ambitious aspirations, becoming a lawyer and a politician were probably on top of the list. Well, that's exactly what he did. He became an immigration lawyer, and in 2010, he was elected for the first time as Montreal City Councilor for the District of Côte d'Elies. He has since been re-elected in 2013 and in 2017, quickly climbing the ranks of his party. He now sits as his party's caucus chair, as well as deputy leader of the official opposition. I can honestly not recall ever having a dull conversation with Frank, which comes as no surprise that this is the longest podcast that I have so far recorded. I'm warning you, it's a long one, but I'm sure that you'll enjoy it. How's it going, man? How are you doing, buddy? Do people call you Frank? I don't know why I call you Frank. You've been calling me Frank uh, since Egypt. Is so, that okay? Or uh, that's totally fine. Do other people call you Frank, or am I the only one? That no, calls no, you there Frank? are, there are, there are. Okay, but uh, I work. I'm mainly Francesco. <laughs> so you want me to call you Francesco? No, you call me Frank. Okay, <laughs> that's how we know each other. It'll change a lot of stuff. <laughs> How's it going, man? Great yourself. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's about time. I've been uh, messaging you and calling yeah. you, but you guys are too busy at the city of Montreal. Uh, we've been postponing, postponing, but hey, look, we take the time to be um, with friends, first of all. For sure. Um, we know each other. We go back a while. Go back uh, since Bois de Boulogne. Bois de Boulogne. Yeah. You were, uh, what, 19? That's close uh, to close to I, 20 years ago. I, I, <laughs> Let's know, not even I, say I, it. I think I've stopped counting. No, I, I'm not ashamed or anything. No, nor, uh, but nor. I, I honestly stopped counting. I think a couple of days ago, my wife asked me, um, how many years ago was it? When, uh, and I can't remember for what, you know, and uh, I started doing the math in my head with the year, but I, I thought I was 39 for some reason, but I'm not. I'm 38 and it was screwing up all the math you in know, my that head. happened to me last week. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm counting. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was I was with Kristen Black, actually, my colleague, mayor of Montreal North. And I was serious. I'm like, no, we're 39. She's like, no, Francesco, we're 38. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, she's our age. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Bois de Boulogne. Um, I think you were probably one of the few friends that I made in Bois de Boulogne. And I did that on purpose. I was a ghost. Sijip, for me, I, I wanted to get in and get out. I had secretly made a bet with myself that um, I would come out faster than all my other friends that oh. went to other sea drips. All right. It was the goal for me not to go to any other sea drip <laughs> far away as possible from so, everyone I know. So four semesters, you wanted to... I was out. I was out. And indeed, that's what happened. That's what happened. Most of my yeah. friends stayed in Vanier or in Dawson. <laughs> it seems like forever. And it might have taken just a bit longer than two years. Probably. For some. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, more, for sure. But uh, I, I only knew Peter going into, into sea drip. He was the only guy I knew uh you remember peter yeah uh, very well and very then well. lives in saint laurent as a matter of yeah yeah is, is he in your district yes he is we'll he give is. him a call we'll, we'll, sure. we'll give him a call. sure uh and yeah that's it other than that i mean of course we made friendships and everything but uh the only big friendships that came out of that was uh jimmy the, you know remember the little yeah. guy <laughs> i hope he's not listening to this <laughs> you know that little short guy <laughs> that, that never grew <laughs> I'm going to ask him to listen uh, at exactly about two minutes in. 
him and you and uh, but do you talk to anyone else? We were put it this way: we were probably the more anglophone uh, uh, click in in a very French but uh, environment. Were, but, but there were there were, were, there were a few. There were quite there a were few, few anglophone. Uh, in my in my, uh, I you see, I was more in a, an English environment with you per se. But in in fact, I. I uh, all my studies were in French, so yeah, that was that was always my uh, uh, my duality, right? Yeah. Is, is that I I could have passed as an Anglophone. To date, there's still a lot of people that think that I am an Anglophone, but as a matter of fact, English is my third language. Yeah. So, uh, and and all my studies were in French. That was what was particular, I guess, and that's what probably helped us in politics as well. I guess. Well, guaranteed yeah. for sure, for sure that helps. Well, look at the constituents that you have, eh? I mean, very diverse, very, um, uh, I mean, English, yes, but a lot of Francophones, uh, even in uh, our newcomers. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, definitely uh, uh, French is, is a must and should remain a must. Yeah, but we, lo we lost touch. I remember uh, after college, I mean, you disappeared, I disappeared. I, I mean, we didn't stay in touch. And then I ran into you at a political event. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. And well. uh, I think it was a launch of a campaign. I can't remember. It was in Ahansik, I think. And uh, who I knows? Maybe Eleni's. It was. I think it was Eleni yeah. Bakuma. Was it 2007? I think it was her last federal campaign. Either it it had to be that, because I think in 2008 she ran with us provincially. Eleni in, in Kremazi. Yeah. Eight or twelve. I didn't remember Eleni running. Uh, I, I didn't think that she ran provincially after yeah. uh, leaving federal she politics. She did. She ran in Cremazie. Really? Okay. Against uh, Lisette Lapointe, uh, which is nearly that, impossible uh, to beat there. I mean, you know, former yeah. Premier Parizel's wife. Correct. Uh, yeah. And Lisette, uh, I believe her brother used to be the city councillor there. Uh, in Cremazie? Uh, yeah. Pierre Lapointe. Oh, maybe. Was it Pierre? Lapointe? I don't know. And uh, yeah, he was city councillor there under Gérald Tremblay. Uh, but then he passed away. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I remember. So yeah, it, it was probably that. And I came in very quickly, and then I'm leaving, and I'm hearing George, George, and I turn around, <laughs> and I swear to God, I didn't even recognize you. I didn't. I did not recognize you. And I'm looking at you, and you're like, "How's it going?" And I, it, it felt like a whole five minutes. <laughs> it wasn't five minutes. It was obviously less, but it felt five minutes. And I'm like, "Frank, like, what's going on?" I'm like, "Oh my." And uh, that's when I realized that you had already uh, been involved for a while in politics. I actually joined as a student. Uh, Stéphane Zion gave me my uh, my first chance in March. I, I started working for Stéphane March 12, 2003. Okay. So I was um, I was 22. Uh, I was still uh, in university. I was still in law school, and uh, yeah. Uh, worked with him uh, from March 2003 all the way up to when I had to leave to, to complete my stage. So I did my stage at l'Autorité des Marchés Financiers. Mm -hmm. uh, went to complete my clerking and uh, as a matter of fact, then came back when he was, uh, when he was a Minister of Environment. Yeah. So uh, I began with Stéphane in 2003, came back, was with him through... Uh, uh, thick and thin. Uh, Were you involved with him during the leadership? Yeah, I was. I was actually uh, back at uh, the writing office. Um, we lost the campaign in uh, January uh, 2006. And so the leadership race was, if I still recall, 
well, he won the leadership on December 2nd, 2006. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, that was the... Okay, so you were with him. Yeah, I was with him. I was with him. I came back. I came back Jan, uh, Jan 3rd, Jan 4th, right after the holidays, uh, 2005. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, I, I was happy to see you uh, in politics because uh, if anything you were always saying that you wanted to get involved in politics, even back in Egypt. I never won. I have no idea how I ended up in politics, but that's a whole other story. But if there's anyone that I knew uh, that belonged there, it, it, was, it was you. And uh, I, was, I was happy. I'm like, hey, what are you doing here? You're like, hey, you know, I work for Stefan and this and that. I'm like, okay, fantastic. And then, of course, you ran at, at, uh, at the municipal elections. Was it a by-election or you ran in the, in the general? No, it was a by-election. Um, I, I never planned um active politics i i really enjoyed my role as a the backstage as a staffer yeah. uh it's where i learned so much especially from stefan uh who um who wasn't the easiest person to work for oh yeah but uh nonetheless uh you, you got to learn uh, so much and um no unfortunately my predecessor uh, passed away uh, during his term, he had just been reelected in uh, November 2009 at the general election with the team of uh, Allen and the uh, whole uh, gang in Saint-Laurent. Ref had just joined as well um, in November 2009 and then unfortunately passed away in September 2010. Okay. So um, I, you know, we had just gone through the 2008 election uh, with Stefan. Um, I stayed. I uh, even after we lost, uh, uh, he he ran that election as uh, as leader of, uh, of the Liberal Party. So it was the and he stayed on board even afterwards. Correct. He yeah. stayed as uh, which is something. Uh, well, rare. he was yeah. he was actually still uh, leader of the opposition. Yeah. Uh, after uh, after he lost uh, the election in two thousand and eight, um, until. Then there was a, a, a race, um, and Michael Ignatieff uh, became uh, leader afterwards. But um, so ultimately, um, I ran uh, in September, as of October 2010. My election was uh, November 22nd, November 22nd, 2010. And so it's already uh, over uh, eight years, uh, eight and a half years. Time flies. I just two reelections since then. And uh, no, quite uh, quite happy with the results. I can't uh, I can't say otherwise. You, I, you you guys are also a very strong unit over there, uh, going from the mayor to all the councillors and the borough councillors as well. Uh, I feel that from all the the boroughs in Montreal, that's probably the strongest unit. Well, the first thing I'll say is that we. <laughs> I'll I'll say it bluntly. We we love each other. Yeah. Uh, we're a very strongly and closely knit uh, team of five. Uh, Jack Cohen has uh, joined since uh, last uh, November two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, uh, Maurice, um, who retired since. So we're we're very we work well together. First of all, we we have fun. Um, but we're grounded. We're we're in the community at all uh, at all time, um, and we we simply live that community. And so, therefore, when you when you have a a sense of of what's happening on the ground, it it allows you to be connected. And so, whether it was in a tougher election 
such as 2013, it's what saved me as well mm -hmm. uh, because I, 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 we were more threatened in 2013 with a, a more split uh, campaign that was uh, being held at the time. If you recall, it was Denis Kader running uh, with uh, Melanie Jolie, who the last weeks of the campaign was uh, she was, came close was she doing tremendously well, yeah. and that's what was happening in my district. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Melanie did very well uh, even at the mayoralty in. Uh, in my own district, okay, uh, but I uh, we still managed to to pull it, and um, so it was a tougher race. But uh, in 2017, I'm uh, I'm happy to say that I, I from Ensemble Montréal, where former Equipe uh, Cadère, I, I got the strongest majority in Montreal. Mm -hmm. So uh, all good stuff, close to 69 percent. Wow, it went okay. It went okay. So 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 now we need to obviously step up to the plate and make sure that those citizens don't regret their vote. I hope so. That's I don't think they will. I mean, they, they have, they have a good team and uh, I've been, I've been seeing you guys work and uh, it's true that you are actively on the ground and it takes that because municipal politics, I mean, you're the proximity government, right? Um, you're, you're, you're the first line. Correct. So if the people can't have access to you, I mean, obviously it's not a good thing, but at the same time, like you said, it makes you lose touch with the reality uh, on the ground. Definitely. Proximity services uh, and, and even those that are not, uh, let's say, um, of our jurisdiction, people have a, a tendency to knock at our doors first, whether it's uh, even schools, right? People, yeah. people uh, parents are, are concerned about uh, uh, lack, of, uh, lack of space in, in schools. Well, they knock at our door as well. Obviously, we, we work in collaboration yeah. with yeah because people don't understand eh, the, the the hierarchy and the different jurisdictions they, they don't necessarily understand that yeah, yeah exactly so uh they know that it often starts off by us mm -hmm. so even if there is provincial funding federal funding if the project doesn't stem from a, a municipal uh will it, often it doesn't happen yeah right so whether it's public transit, whether it's proximity services, um, look, we, we, we just have a, a, um, a recycling plant that, that just had to stop operating in Saint Laurent, the eco center, even though it's a Montreal jurisdiction. Well, because of contract management, okay. uh, the Autorité des Marchés Financiers removed the uh, the license uh, to one of the contractors, uh, to Millimax. They had a une entreprise de cautionnement that was taking over Intact Assurance. From there on, um, one of the subcontracts or subcontractors stopped operating, and obviously, then you're you're uh, you're the front line because people say, "Well, okay, where do I bring my?" For sure. uh, my but you need to items. you need to get that functioning again. Definitely, and so we're we're working with uh, the center city with a, a mitigation plan so that they could keep on servicing themselves. For now, they're able to still go to the eco center that's on Bois de Boulogne Street and uh, in Hansik, right next yeah. to our our CJP, right yeah. behind it. And yeah, so it, it's these. There's never a dull moment. How's that? Oh, for sure, never, never. Um, how do you feel though now that you're uh, actively in politics? Whereas before you thought, I'll just be back here, uh, doing what I have to do the backstage. I never liked the visibility either, to be honest with you. But here you are now. You're at the your front stage. How do you feel? What's the difference now for you? Well, uh, you you 
because you and me, uh, our, our ethics are such that we gave the same heart and soul, whether we were uh, uh, staffers or whether we're on the front line. Mm -hmm. And I know you had your opportunity to to run yeah. as well. And 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 the reality is such: if you have work ethics, you're giving your best, even as a staffer. Um, but it is different, obviously, because you 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 have a pressure that is not necessarily imposed on you when you're, uh, when you're behind the staffer, scenes. Yeah. When you're you're behind the scenes, because whether you want it or not, uh, that microphone under your lips, that uh, camera in your face, um, the fact that it's your face on that billboard, amène une imputabilité. It it actually resonates in the people where they, if something goes wrong, well they want you as accountable for sure um and so in that sense once you grasp once you understand that you you if to me ethics is everything if if you work ethically and you give my motto has always been never to give false hopes to people yeah uh, and this even when I was working as a staffer because when you're working as a staffer, you know more than me that um, you're constantly in contact with those citizens. For you're sure. constantly in contact with those people. And they that rely come on you. Definitely. And, and the thing is that, and this is the difference between doing municipal and you know provincial or federal, the fact that the provincial or federal member of parliament isn't necessarily every day no. in his district or no. riding. Yeah. Uh, so you become that face. You exactly. become you, you, exactly. know, you become him to the or people her. that knock at exactly. the door. Yeah, exactly. Stefan actually always used to say, "In reality, c'est toi le député. Moi, je suis peut-être le ministre, t'es le député." He he used to joke on that, but uh, and it definitely helped me going into municipal politics because in municipal politics you don't have that interface. So even if you are the elected official, the citizen expects an answer from you as an elected official rarely from the interface of uh, uh, a yeah. political staff and you also have the city council meetings where it's open to the public exactly. so people can actually yeah. come and yeah. have access to you directly most definitely and so to me it wasn't a huge change going from uh, uh, a staffer at the federal level to municipal because i was very uh, in tune already, and 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 it was a daily life for me to be in touch with citizens, whether they were knocking at our door for uh, immigration purposes, whether they yeah. were knocking at our door for uh, border services, whichever, any federal uh, matter and, and jurisdiction. So obviously you change jurisdiction when you go at the municipal, but that contact with the citizen is is something that only a political staffer can understand. Yeah, for sure. Once you're at the uh, at the municipal. Um, so from then on, uh, things have been uh, have been uh, rolling okay. Uh, you 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 obviously have a network. You but your network is your citizen. You don't need to. You know, there's less partisanship at the municipal yeah, level. I would true. say. And why as well? Because of the system per se, right? People, people every four years uh, at a fixed date get to give us a report card, whether you're a borough councillor, a city councillor, a borough mayor, or the mayor of Montreal. They have four ballots. 
three, depending if you're in a Montreal, a former Montreal uh, uh, district. Um, but, you know, whether they like uh, Denis Coderre, Valérie Plante, or they like Francesco Miele or my opponent, they have the choice. Mm -hmm. And in that case, that's what allows you to uh, do better or worse than the mayoralty candidate uh, in your own district. I'll be honest with you. The, ele the election system at the municipal level is very complicated. <clears throat> um, because you're electing uh, uh, three or four uh, people. Correct. You Correct. Know, Some places up until five. That's confusing. Especially in areas, look, I'm thinking of the, the area where I worked in, yeah. where, you know, there's there's a huge disconnect in general Correct. with politics, whether they're local, provincial, or federal. Yeah. Uh, and it seems as though every four years, it becomes a repetitive task to remind people that, listen, there's your can there's your counselor, there's the borough mayor, uh, um, maybe in certain cases, a borough counselor, the mayor of Montreal, and it's just a ballot with like dozens of names on it. But it's worth the sweat. Yeah, it's worth the sweat because if you're really doing the job, um, then your report card is more based on your performance than on the more of the the macro. You don't you don't think that there's too many elected officials uh, at the city of Montreal? How many are you now? A hundred so and uh... at at municipal council we're sixty five, uh, including the borough uh, councillors were hundred three in Montreal. Uh, in 19 boroughs. Um, we we went already from, look, I take the example of Saint Laurent when we used to be a city and up until 2002, January 2002, we were 50, we were, I wasn't there, but mm -hmm. uh, the city had uh, 15 city councillors plus the mayor. Mm -hmm. We went from 15 to five total. Yeah. So 16 to five total, four councillors, two city councillors, two borough councillors and the mayor. So are there too many elected officials? I mean, considering the fact that the provincial government has 125. Correct. And one city has 103. But you ran you ran a constituency office and you ran the parliamentary office. Um, and, and you know exactly probably how many staffers you were for each M&A. Um, I would estimate that you were at least between eight and ten staffers. Uh, Us? No. We were four. Overall. Four, four. Uh, including La Colline Parlementaire. We didn't have anyone in Quebec. We had transferred everything to Montreal okay. to be more so, efficient. Uh, in essence, take those four, some some people, depending on whether they have part-timers or not, mm -hmm. they could go up to uh, at least eight, yeah. uh, whether they're in uh, their constituency and their, their uh, parliamentary office. Mm -hmm. So you do 125 times, uh, let's say an average of five, uh, you you have uh, overall uh, seven hundred uh, people that are uh, that are working at the municipal level. It's almost none of us that have staffers mm -hmm. in Saint Laurent. The five of us don't have one staffer. That's a good point. There's, so basically, there's no political staffer. It's what we were you're saying the staffer before. basically, and the elected official. You take on it, all the work. It's exactly what I was saying before. Yeah. I went from a federal staffer to being a, an elected official at the municipal level. And I could tell you that it was the same. The workload is the, the workload same. Yeah. It, uh, was the same, obviously, way more once I'm at the municipal level because then I also have to attend events, mm -hmm. right? So you have the administrative. You have the interaction with your citizen where you 
they call you for um, issues that they're or concerns that they have, and then you have your political uh, events to attend. So when you when you consider the staffers that we don't have, I'm not sure that in Saint Laurent we'd be able to do with less than five. Yeah. Uh, very honestly, we're we're a community with 105,000 uh, citizens. 110,000 jobs in our territory, 4,800 companies, the workload is there. Mm -hmm. I could have a CAE that's calling me for an issue they have. I could have an Ericsson calling me. I could have a little local store calling me. Mm -hmm. Out of 4,800 companies uh, or medium small companies or whether they go from Bombardier all the way up to the local store, they get the same attention, right? Um, plus our citizens. Um so I, I'm not I'm not the biggest advocate when it comes to um to saying to reducing the off numbers. the cuff. Yeah, of course we're too many elected officials. Um I, I I still prefer looking at what's the workload, right? Now, don't get me wrong, if there's a city councilor that has a full-time staffer and that he's not returning a call and it's actually the staffer that's doing all the work. Eh. But are they allowed to have because uh, look in, in the district where we worked um uh park x uh, villa saint michel mm -hmm. uh the mayor only had uh, a couple staffers the the councillors didn't either. correct so that that budget uh comes entirely from uh the borough mm -hmm. if the borough wants to allocate a budget for staffing uh political staffing attaches they can yeah but it comes out of the it, it comes out of the uh of the borough uh, budget. budget by choice in Saint Laurent we don't want any mm -hmm. uh we prefer not because that's what allows us to be in touch and in tune with our population um of course it demands more on our part and sometimes it demands a bit more patience on on the part of the the citizen because sometimes we can't uh, return a call within uh, mm -hmm. uh, 24 hours, 48 hours. If I'm at municipal council uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm at council, uh, in public council on Monday, Tuesday, uh, reading my files, preparing my uh, interventions, I'm definitely not returning calls. But I'm not answering emails. So but there's the, there's disadvantages not to have staffers. But the bur uh, but there's your borough has uh, staff. I mean, you have support staff. You have you know your secretaries. Not, you probably have uh, well, none are political in the sense that no, they're, they're borough uh, per the personnel. Correct. Belong to the borough. Yeah. They, they belong to the borough. They belong to the the municipal apparel, and um, in say obviously the work I do with them is um, is that one of managing the the borough, right? Uh, we're not talking about people that will, you know, if someone leaves me a message uh, on my uh, voicemail, I can't uh, ask one of the employees at the borough, can you return that call for me? Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't work that yeah, way because yeah. they're not political attaches. They're not political staffers that are uh, assigned to Francesco. Yeah. Uh, they work for the borough of Saint Laurent overall. Don't get me wrong. Once I assess the situation with my citizen, once I'm um, uh, understanding the matter, then I put in practice. Then I I, I put um, in 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 practice the whole uh, management so that we could find a solution to the problem uh, that the citizen is uh, is bringing to our attention. 
because this is this is what I think sucks, and this is something that I uh, got to witness um, because of the fact that it's a borough. Uh, the, the the personnel belong to the borough. Very often, they think that they're associated to the mayor, and uh, it happens. Uh, and it happened in, in our district where certain councilors were of opposing party. And they thought that, look, you know, we, we have no support staff. Everything is, belongs to the mayor. Correct. And we're getting zero um, zero help. And that it's an additional stress on the elected official because you literally have to do everything on your own now. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. The dynamics, the dynamics in... Uh, that uh, Spilled the, water the, on no, me. No problem. <laughs> um, the dynamics in a borough that uh, not everyone is from the same team is different than that one where, like in Saint Laurent, we're five from the same team with Alan, Aref, uh, Michel, Jacques, and myself. Um, I I understand that there are some mayors that have their own uh, chef de cabinet, their own uh, uh, chief of staff, and 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 some other uh, staffer, and they're uh, assigned to. Uh, they're assigned. Their role is mainly to support the mayor in his tasks or her tasks, uh, and not necessarily be the attaché to uh, the other members, especially if they're not from the same party. Right. Yeah. So if you take Park X for say, well, um, in Villeray Saint Michel Park Extension, it's a bit of a melting pot because you have Mary and Josué that are with Ensemble Montréal, uh, mm-hmm. are with our team. Then you have uh, La Mairesse, who is now indépendante, Ms. Fumagalli. And then you have Sylvain and uh, Rosani, who are from Projet Montréal. So no one is actually in a majority position mm-hmm. of governing. So in a context as such, it's obvious that most of the time, the mayor will go get their own attaché, mm-hmm. right? Because then there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of negotiation to go into place to assure that you could get your your majority and and pass your resolutions. If not, you're constantly. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. Ultimately, it's the citizen that pays because it affects the services towards them. Correct. Um, but hey, it's democracy, right? Yeah. So, to go back to the the complicated, uh, the more complicated aspect of the vote uh, at the municipal level, again, I I I still think that. It allows a grounded counselor uh, to get a report card uh, through their election, which is less impacted. Trust me, we we are impacted by the mayoralty race, but less impacted than at the provincial or at the municipal or at the federal, where ultimately the people don't pass necessarily a judgment on the candidate, but rather vote for the party that they wish to support. In, it, 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 it depends. The, I mean, in certain areas, I mean, the candidates are very well established. And no, I mean, my my experience in 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 my experience at the federal level, I have no shame to say that the candidate. It doesn't matter. Yeah, the they, candidate it, is 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 usually worth about five to eight percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ninety-five to ninety-two percent, the people are voting for. Uh, for the, the the leader of the party. Yeah. But you have the inverse also. I remember in our writing, uh, especially during the election in 2012 where we lost, we had our one of our biggest majorities. Uh, I think it But the context p- was another one. 
no, no, you're talking about 2014 with uh, with Hachard de Valeur. I'm talking about before when, you know, Premier Charest even lost his seat in 2012. Uh, you know, you had the student demonstrations. It was such a bad um, uh, environment, you know, politically for us, at least while we were in government, especially towards the end of that mandate. Um, and, well, of course, at a national level, I mean, it was only a very, uh, you know, minor difference. I mean, there was a minority government that came in after us, but... Um, you know, we thought it was going to be so much more tragic. And yet the people elected, you know, uh, my, my boss, because I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is that in that writing, I, I I'm almost positive that, you know, the party, obviously the, the, the banner itself plays a role because you represent, but I think the candidate and, you know, the, the, the elected official through the number of years that they have completed, I, I, in our case, I don't know. I mean, I can't compare. Uh, played, I think, a bigger role. The the different, the higher, the lower you level of government, I think the ratio is different. Yeah. The federal is definitely uh, a, a very high percentage that is party. Yeah. Um, at the provincial, probably less, and at the municipal, by far less. Yeah. Uh, I I would say that at the municipal. We're, we're easy at a 60-40, if not 55-45. Well, nobody knows. Nobody um, knows parties at the municipal level. No, you, you know, much it, less. It, yeah, much less. Sure. Other other than the, the mayoralty race, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so you identify to an individual. You don't identify necessarily to a But that's why it's also uh, complicated. Because I, I go through this with my parents every four years. Okay, who is she running with? Who's the thing? And who's the mayor? And they're together. And uh, okay, write me the names down. And because but ultimately, it almost doesn't matter because you you still get to vote for Mary Darrow. No, exactly. And Where, whereas if you go to a provincial or federal election, you don't know the name. You're like, okay, you're looking at the ballot. Yeah. Uh, conservative. The okay, where's the liberal guy? Okay, put the X, and that's yeah. it. You know. Exactly. So a. It goes to show that they don't even almost pay attention to to the <laughs> <laughs> they don't almost pay attention to who the candidate is, uh, and no, but, again, but the context is such that certain areas, because of the demographics, because of and and God knows that your writing of Laurier Dorion was changing over oh, yeah, the years, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The, the demographics, the demographics yeah. uh, totally changed. Um, it. Uh, gentrified itself uh, at several levels, and and you you always have a hint of it based on the where the municipal is going. So how the yeah. municipal is going, uh, you could have a an idea of where the provincial might yeah. uh, set itself. Yeah, yeah. But it's look, it's not always a clear cut, but it's often that. Yeah. But I mean, it also in our case. I mean, we were pretty present on the ground, and we saw the we saw that shift. We even saw it in the results. We we've been following, monitoring that change. I think I would say probably um, from the election in two thousand and twelve, when we started analyzing the figures there, mm -hmm. we we saw it happening. We saw the the percentage of the the PQ vote uh, going down. Uh, sorry, my phone is ringing. Yeah, we saw the the PQ's vote uh, kind of taking a weird shift, and uh, Quebec Solidaire's uh, kind of percentage going up, and 
we start seeing the change. I mean, you walk you walk in the riding and you see the people, right? You're like, hmm, that's strange. I've been living here for 35 years yep. and that kind of profile doesn't necessarily fit this area. And then you start seeing it more and more and more. And then you understand. I mean, you know, there was a shift. I mean, everyone from the plateau is kind of migrating towards the north. Um, the prices in, in uh, you know, in rent or in real estate are going up. They're coming maybe to the more affordable areas. Um, you know, there's the university campus. So that always brings in uh, younger crowds, younger professionals, students, uh, entrepreneurs, and uh, it's a reality. I think it's going to be a, a good thing for the area, Definitely politically for, for us. I, I, I it, think it, the, yeah. the life, the dynamics yeah, of yeah. the area is yeah, yeah. a total different. Even though many at, at the municipal level would disagree with me, but um, because, you know, you're dealing with housing issues and all that stuff. Um, politically, if, you know, I mean, we got out and it's fine. I mean, you know, you, when you're doing politics, you kind of have to accept the fact that defeat is part of the part of the you know part of, of the gig uh and it's fine you have to accept it but i think locally um socially economically i can only see positive things uh with this change so uh, but you're right yeah it's uh it, it has changed drastically that area and, I think and, and and several areas of montreal are, are uh changing and honestly most of them are changing for the best. Mm -hmm. Let's be frank. I mean, uh, Montreal is is a great place. We have our challenges. We have our uh, um, problems with uh, uh, various, uh, whether it's uh, uh, construction, uh, oh, the God. fact that we're trying to, to put at norm uh, a lot of our um, uh, transit uh, areas. So there's a lot of work, but a lot that's being the done. The construction, I so got to tell you, man, it's one thing. I, I, I don't understand. Are the Do the cones stay there during winter and then when the snow melts, they're already there? Or as soon as the last the, the uh, ones, flake melts, they're like overnight. Yeah. <laughs> they're just well, up there. What kills us the most are contracts that are awarded that actually have to take place over two seasons. Okay? So if we award a contract, say, last in uh, uh, June uh, 2018, it's a contract that's gonna. If we're if we're actually redoing the the bed mm -hmm. of the street, right? So so the underground, mm -hmm. so whether it's sewage, whether it's uh, water, obviously they can't work over the winter. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna, and that's why people have the impression that we're working twice on a street. We're not working twice. It's because. Our climate is such that we cannot execute a contract one shot from uh, May because we can't dig until mm -hmm. the, the thaw mm -hmm. um, from May before uh, it starts snowing, right? So most of the time, the contract will go as of, let's say, August, September. If we're lucky, it starts earlier in, in, in July. But often we don't want to start them in July because then we're off for two weeks during construction. Yes, yes. And so we just see cones for the summers, yeah, right? Yeah. So ideally, a contract that has to go over uh, over two seasons, uh, well, hopefully it'll start in August at, uh, as we return from the construction holidays. So they dig... They do what they have to do. They do the most they can up until uh, November. Obviously, they have to. They can't leave us on on stones, on rocks. So they asphalt. They put one they coat cover of it up, and then they, they open cover it, back it up, again. and they open it back. Now those contracts are ongoing contracts, right? Because we awarded it, let's say in 
uh, as we said before, May, June 2018. In the previous year, yeah. So obviously, those crews, that contractor, is able to start as soon as his machinery is up and running and, and we're, we're out of uh, winter. Um, so he's up and going as of April, right? Because he's not waiting to be awarded a contract. He already has it. He already has it. And he's at the second uh, part of, of, but that's a, that's a reality that we're never going to uh, be able to get away from. Mm -hmm. Or at least, uh, I mean, unless we do smaller stretches of streets where we could execute everything within one season, then it might be feasible. But the problem is, is that if you shorten the the, the stretch of the street, then you're still going to have to yeah. come and intervene several times yeah. because St. Dennis or... or uh, St. Catherine uh, now. Uh, yeah. Take St. Well, Catherine, it's a whole redesign and, and it's a whole different ballgame. But you take, for example, uh, St. Dennis that's being done between, uh, I believe, Jean Talon all the way up uh, to Villeray, uh, yeah. if not even further north. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm referring to that yeah. one because yeah. it's uh, yeah. in your uh, uh, in your writing. Um, so you you take that one. Last year we did the southbound. This year we're doing the northbound. It's always the same contract, but it's impossible for these contractors to manage it and do it uh, entirely in a season because we have winter in the how meantime. Do you, how do you deal with the impact that it has on the businesses? I know that a lot of business back a couple of years ago when mm -hmm. they were when they were redoing St. Lawrence for, correct. It was it was just catastrophic yeah. for for the businessmen. And that sensitivity is something that elected officials today have. Back in the time let, let's put it this way. Why didn't the elected officials have the impulse, have the uh, reflex of thinking of the merchant? Let's be honest. It's because we didn't invest in infrastructure back in the time. Mm -hmm. We didn't. So it, asphalting, we would, co we would coat a, a street and it, it was a question of weeks. And, and so we, we didn't go over uh, scenarios where uh, we were redoing uh, street beds. We were redoing sewage, aqueducts and name it. So Saint Laurent was probably uh, um, uh, one of the... One of the first of this generation of, of infrastructure works that we're doing uh, was a first experience where we we learned the hard way. Not only did we learn the hard way, those those poor uh, merchants had to uh, learn the, the hard way. And so what are we doing today? We definitely work uh, much uh, more in tune with the Service de Développement Économique, the Economic Development Department of the City of Montreal, to one, put in place... Um, mitigation uh mitigation measures so that the people can still have access we we uh, communicate much better the alternative uh ways to still get to the uh, businesses so that at least the the merchant isn't left on his own mm -hmm. right um the sdcs are partners in that when they're they're on arterial roads where we have uh the société de développement commercial um and also, we, we uh, put in place uh, measures so that they could have uh, other types of financial incentives. What's happening with, uh, with, uh, with St. Catherine? What, what kind of redesign? Is it turning down to one lane finally? or? So the concept is, uh, is definitely going to be one that is going to surprise a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's uh, a concept that uh, the new administration has 
twisted uh, from um, uh, what we had started working on. Um, it, what we're saying is hopefully the construction won't uh, uh, be such a long run so that we're, we're, we're not going to kill the businesses. Uh, but it is, it is going to be uh, much more space to the uh, pedestrians, mm -hmm. much more space uh, to public transit and, and, and to active uh, transport. So bike uh, and, uh, and everything that Man, goes with the it. hair rises on my arms when I hear these things, honestly, because you're downtown, you know, already Montreal is not a big space, right? I mean, it's a small Island. Uh, you only have, a number of roads that will be able to bring you either from north, south, or east, west. St. Catherine is definitely one of those. Do you honestly think that it's beneficial to the merchants to cut out traffic? Look, I'll, um, I'll, look, I'll be, first of all, I don't live on the island anymore. But if I have to go uh, shop or whatever downtown, believe me, if, if I know that it's one lane, I'm not going to go on St. Catherine anymore. I'm gonna prefer going to a mall somewhere or I'm gonna to go to the Eaton Center or somewhere where I know that I can leave my car and just be there, right? The um I think there needs to be a just balance between uh the space that we have as as pedestrians, as cyclists, as uh, people that use public transit, and uh the cars that cannot be uh, totally uh banished. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's something that Uh, obviously, the administration in place has no shame in uh, saying that they're they're almost at war against uh, uh, against um, drivers. Mm -hmm. uh, we see it even with the uh, the ticket hikes the, the, yeah. that they 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 just implemented uh, last week uh, for a parking ticket that reaches three hundred two dollars. I mean, they don't have a sensitivity for the person that um, still takes their car. To them, it's a whole uh, it's a whole process of shifting people from cars to uh, public transit. Look, I understand. And in, in a sense, in a sense, I agree with the fact that we need to find a just middle. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'm not I'm far away from being as dogmatic as they are because I consider them dogmatic uh, in several aspects. When you when you consider that downtown Montreal, there's over 320, 330,000 uh, jobs. Um, most of these people will not come by uh, by car. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that come there daily, right? Uh, we have uh, obviously also the investment of the electric train that's coming in, mm -hmm. like the, with the REM that will be connected uh, to the McGill station uh, and uh, will will be able to increase, uh, I would say, the ins and outs of downtown from various other places uh, of Montreal, right? So whether you're connected to the REM uh, and you're leaving from the Saint Laurent Industrial Park in in uh, the Techno Park, mm -hmm. uh, you're you're able to be uh, downtown from in, the airport, uh, from yeah, absolutely yeah. even South Shore. So ultimately, if we we look at what we're investing uh, in public transit on the side, now you're we can change the fact that most of these building, most of these towers still have underground parkings, mm -hmm. right? And we need to maintain an access to these uh, parkings. Um, 
take for example McGill College that uh, was redesigned as well. So uh, they're still working on the on the redesign. The final uh, the final planning is um, is to be uh, presented at this time. They've realized that. Uh, whether it's the office towers, whether it's uh, the Eaton uh, centers or, or all the other commercial that still have parking uh, underground, they need to have access mm-hmm. to it. So the car cannot be eliminated per se. Um, they're going to try otherwise. They're going to, we saw it with uh, the mountain. We saw it oh, with God. the. I was, uh, was going to talk about that later, but. Right. So are, it, are they going to close that street again this uh, this summer? So we don't know exactly wh- wh- how they're going to proceed. Last for everyone year, listening, by the way, we're talking about the, the road that crosses at Mont Camille. Royal, uh, Camille Wood Street, and um, uh, last year uh, Mayor Valerie Plant shut that street down, um, which to me made absolutely no sense. Um, there, there was a pilot project, or there was a report Correct. that should have come out, and what's happening this year? So we still don't know where they're headed uh, with that uh, and what's going to be the permanent uh, aspects. There was a consult, public consultation at the OCPM um, that was uh, that uh, received a whole lot of recommendations. We tabled our own as well. Um, at the time, the administration and 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 look, no one loses. Uh, the, the the sensitivity of the fact that there is a cyclist that was killed uh, on a wrong maneuver of a uh, of a driver that pulled a U-turn mm-hmm. and the cyclist w- was killed. No one disputes the fact that we needed to act. We acted quickly. We uh, put some jerseys in the middle to impede any car from uh, putting uh, pulling a U-turn, but. Um, the administration went ahead and said, uh, okay, well, for X amount of months, uh, no uh, no cars whatsoever. Problem is, is that as the communication of it wasn't at, at its highest, there were still a lot of U-turns that were being done, but at the two extremities, Yeah. right? So safety-wise, I'm not sure that we gained uh, a, a whole lot. Um, and if the ultimate goal of the mayor is to close the transit then we're we're talking for nothing because yeah. if if every solution that we're looking at needs to to be uh turned towards the one of stopping the transit then she's taken her decision and and that's what i raised as as a um a doubt in if it was really a consultation or not when she gave her mandate to the ocpm i personally don't think it was a a, a real mandate because um Ultimately, she asked, what are the different ways of cutting the transit? Um, taking the transit as a finality, as a as a, uh, a purpose. We could have considered other things, right? We could have considered, uh, look at Park Avenue. Park Avenue turns from a, a, a three-lane uh, south yeah, to a three-lane... Uh, 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 yeah. Okay, so that's uh, something that we don't have at several places in Montreal. But it works well on park avenue mm-hmm. so perhaps we could have um we could have turned uh remembrance in a in a one way we could have uh we could have considered uh that during certain times of the day we don't authorize the transit mm-hmm. um th- there were several several uh alternatives that could have been considered because before the honest truth cutting is that it, it, the whole 
uh, and and let alone that in there there are uh, cemeteries that uh, mm-hmm. still need to operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people that want to go. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. It's a, very, it's a very practical route. Uh, like you said, people either go to the cemeteries. There's tourists that want to go to the viewpoint. Um, it's it's a it's an easy uh, access point to cross from one side to the other rather than going around the mountain. So I think there's a usefulness uh, of having that road uh, functioning. Well, it, if there's a facility to it, it's one thing. And, and I understand that it increases transit. But if you want to eliminate the transit, you need to understand what's the impact in the vicinity, mm-hmm. right? And now all of a sudden you have boroughs like Outremont uh, that will might be more transit on Coats and Catherine, yeah. more transit on other uh, alternative uh, roads. So it, it needs to be done with a coherency and a conju- in conjunction with the neighboring uh, boroughs. It's not what was done uh, when she mandated the OCPM. And uh, we definitely hope that she'll have a, a better ear for citizens uh, in the upcoming weeks. Uh, we spoke about this before going live. Um, how's opposition for you? I I enjoy it. I enjoy it for the time being, in the sense that obviously we all you don't want to stay there. Yeah. Um, we I I have a just middle. I would say in Saint Laurent we govern mm-hmm. right. We govern with the the powers that we have, uh, in the jurisdictions that we have. But we're we're uh, obviously in a decision making position. Mm-hmm. When you're in your opposition, I I won't deny that it's something that you. When I was a staffer uh, and we lost the election uh, at the federal level, Stéphane was always saying, um, Stéphane Zion, that mm-hmm. is obviously, uh, was always saying, l'opposition est, est un mal nécessaire, c'est la plus formatrice qu'il n'y a pas. Yeah, and necessary it's a, evil. A, yeah. a, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a fact. Um, one, we we have less time to uh, learn our files, right? Because contrary to when you're in the administration, uh, you don't get your decisional files uh, as l- with as much time as when you're in the administration preparing the mm-hmm. actual yeah. files. So you you get to um, be more critical. You get to you you become more analytical. Uh, when, than when you're in the administration. And let's face it, when you're in the administration, unless you actually have um, a portfolio, um, you don't follow your files as much. Oh, yeah. um, I'm not saying that not everyone has the, the, the I would say, the, the, the sense of, uh, uh, of reading all their material. Yeah. But when you're, in power and you have the executive committee that handles the files uh promotes the files they discuss it in caucus but at council you're a bit more relaxed you know you're you're not there to defend the file necessarily other than le porteur du dossier other than the person in charge of the executive committee whereas when you're in the opposition uh even though we each have our our portfolios as uh uh critics Nonetheless, um, everyone will pay attention to a file that they want to flag, and they'll deepen their research on it. They'll uh, look because into that's it your job. Because that's our our main role is the one of being uh, 
critical, analytical, uh, but constructive as yeah. well. I mean, we're not there to to, to jeopardize uh, the administration and 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 make sure that uh, things don't uh, work properly. But we're but, there to 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 try to and and honestly, Ensemble Montréal, Lionel is Lionel Perez is doing an amazing job. Uh, as uh, official opposition leader, uh, as you know, Denis Coderre uh, mm-hmm. uh, stepped down uh, after the uh, election in 2017. But you were given a pretty prominent role as well, though. Uh, you're the well, leader? I, I, I'm uh, president of, of caucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at council, I, I have several files that I, uh, I'm i critic to. Environmental files, urban planning. Uh, and I'm uh, deputy uh, leader in uh, in the house. Um, so I enjoy it. Well, yeah, it keeps you busy. Uh, tell me about. Obviously, it's uh, the, your elections are are well. I don't want to say far because it's never far. Twenty twenty two, but you still don't have, uh, you know, quote unquote permanent leader. Is there going to be a leadership race? What's going on with that? Well, let's be frank. When you uh, have um, a system uh, with fixed date uh, election. So in theory, if all is kept as uh, as planned, our election should be in November 2021, right? Um, I know that the government was uh, considering uh, at one point maybe postponing them to May 2022, but that was a question of governance. I, okay. I don't know where the provincial uh, is with that, but the, the idea of that was because when a government comes in, a municipal government comes into place in November of uh, the year, we have hardly a couple of weeks to vote in on the budget for the following year. Um, so as a purpose of better governance, uh, I know that the provincial uh, parties had been discussing uh, even last year uh, to consider maybe having the elections in May so that it would give in, uh, a new administration at the municipal level more the time, time yeah. to uh, adopt a budget. But that being said, to go back to the leadership, there's not really an urgency or uh, uh, to bring in uh, a new woman or a new man as leader of our party uh, three years, two and a half, three years before uh, the election, uh, just because obviously at that point you're you're giving uh that candidate less of an opportunity of uh um striking in the last few months of the yeah. campaign right mm-hmm. uh, uh, once you're settled in uh there's not more uh, uh, an effet nouveau yeah. and so therefore i think in in logically uh it, it would make sense to uh to come up uh in uh at a later uh, point probably uh early by next year early no i would i would i would say more uh end end 2020 early 2021 oh that late i would think so i would well I, there's no rush like i said there's no rush that that you uh, because then if 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 you elect a leader uh and if there aren't any by-elections that leader isn't even at. He's not in. Uh, yeah. He's not in the house unless you well, vote unless in you elect someone, someone that's already elected. Yeah. Someone that's already elected, uh, but that that we don't know. Uh, there's a lot of uh, journalists running after Kader again to get some answers out of him on whether or not he's gonna he's gonna make another attempt. What do you think? Well, we've we've all heard uh, Denis uh, say on uh, on. Uh, large uh, large uh, show uh, 
not to name it, but on tout le monde en parle, mentioning that um, he's not uh, focusing on uh, 2021. He doesn't have the intention of running uh, as of now. Um, and in all fairness, I, I'm I'm happy for him. I'm I'm happy. First of all, I'm happy for the man. You could tell that he's um, he's uh, he's doing well. Uh, he's doing he well. He's, he's taken uh, yeah. he's taken himself uh, 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 good objectives of uh, 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 equilibrium of uh, uh, time. That you know, politics aren't easy. Um, you could easily uh, uh, sacrifice yeah, uh, yeah. your health and. Uh, I'm I'm definitely happy for for Denis who uh, uh, has um, put himself into shape and uh, hopefully uh, he's uh, happy and comfortable with himself and that I'm pretty sure he is. I was with him last uh, Friday, uh, almost a week ago, and uh, he looks uh, he looks good. Um, <clears throat> and look, as we just finished saying for our leader, uh, our future leader, it's still early, so. Denis, at this point, it's normal. He he's active uh, on several fronts, and he deserves uh, he deserves the best. And if he uh, uh, has, I know he has uh, definitely other plans. We've seen him; he's active in uh, the international level uh, in Paris. He's on uh, uh, a French board uh, of directors uh, in the transit system. Uh, presently, he's in Kinshasa, uh, so he he keeps uh, active. It's it's definitely uh, not his priority right now to talk about a mayoralty, which is uh, uh, only in three years. What do you think happened last campaign? Because it, it seems as though the current mayor came out of nowhere. Um, and everything happened like in the last week, maybe? The last two weeks? Uh, look... The, the the difference between us being candidates and also political uh, uh, junkies, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll call us uh, yeah. political junkies, is that we always um, see things differently. Yeah. And, and uh, I was saying it already during the campaign. Um, what happened is that Denis during his term was extremely strong, mm-hmm. right? People were happy. Uh, he was uh, delivering uh, f- frontcomer Denis always uh, ready to uh, uh, to respond uh, regardless of the uh, jurisdiction that it mattered so long as it mattered for Montrealers Denis was there to speak up whether it was provincial matters federal matters mm-hmm. name it international even so Denis was omnipresent Hey, he was, he was it's the, true the, uh, but he's always been like that even correct but from the days where he was in the federal but government. when you're mayor you're mayor and so that in itself allowed that not so many people were were coming front to run against him so we could we could see it what happened the official opposition elected uh, a, a city councilor amongst themselves, right? So everything was done from within. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, there were a couple of files that uh, uh, you know uh, weren't uh, weren't the easiest files. Whether it was uh, uh, controversial uh, aspects of the administration that um, the official opposition. 
uh, I would say, uh, to their credit, made sure that it stayed in the media. You're talking about right? the e-formula? Whether it's the yeah. e-formula, whether it's uh, a couple of other files uh, out there, but mainly that. And they they judged the persona of Denis Coderre, right? Mm-hmm. They, they actually uh, depicted uh, a, uh, an image of mm-hmm. Denis Coderre, which they managed to carry out publicly, right? Denis also had his struggles during the election year health wise and and so himself he wasn't at his best during the campaign but then when you don't have a third party it becomes a referendum mm-hmm. and a referendum i i always like to give the example take gerald tremblay gerald tremblay was re-elected twice elected three times in 2001 2005 2009 and I'm not sure he ever got 40%. I, I don't have all the stats mm-hmm. in front of me, but if he got 42, I think his strongest mandate was the 2005, perhaps, or whichever. I, I, mm-hmm. You could take out the numbers, but he definitely never reached 46%. Mm-hmm. Okay? Denis got elected in 2013 at a, a four-way race. He got a 30, 32%, 33%. He gets 46% almost 47% the mandate following. But your opposition is not split. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me, Denis went from 32-33 to 46. Yeah. Gérald never got that. Yeah. Right? It's just that when your opposition doesn't split... Well, obviously, plays a role. Right? It becomes a referendum. And it was that. Yeah. I was knocking at some doors, and trust me, the, what I was being told was not pretty at all. Yeah. But nothing was objective. Yeah. Everything was about the person. Everything, oh, he's arrogant, oh, he's this, he's yeah. that. And ultimately, obviously, when you person- personify an individual, well, that's all you're judging on. Mm-hmm. I, here I have, I, I'm knocking at a door, and they're convinced that Denis Coderre is the Oh, you've blocked downtown. There's no way to drive into downtown anymore. And I'm I'm looking at the at the man. In this case, it was a man at the door. I'm like, but sir, you're you're serious? Have you thought one second of the alternative? Uh, if you think that we block downtown, I said, do you know what Projet is gonna do no, to downtown? Nobody reads platforms, uh, it, Frank. Nobody but, nobody nobody but, cares. But when you're in a two-way race, you even less. Because when you're in a two-way race, all you're doing is you're judging the one that's that's already on le piedestal, mm-hmm. that's already the mayor. So you automatically go for the alternative. So well, personally, you have, you have I, no choice. But at the same time, if it was a three-way race, Denis would still be mayor of Montreal. There's no way. There's no way that Projet would have would have uh, gone in because Denis would have still kept his forty-six percent. Mm-hmm. And if it was if if it was a three-way race. There's no way that Valérie would have, uh, Madame Plante, uh, Valérie Plante would have gotten uh, yeah. 50, uh, 53, 54%. No uh, way. But look, after all these years, man, that you've done politics, does it actually surprise you that constitu- constituents don't really, they don't, they don't, first of all, first of all, we said it before, I mean, they don't understand the difference between the jurisdictions to begin with. Um, it, it's funny. It's a funny story because people always thought in our case that 
we worked for Justin Trudeau because he was he he, he gets elected in the same district, and then Mary Daryls would work for us. So that's how we would work, right? It's the federal, and then we work for them, and then the municipal works for us. <laughs> but at the same time, nobody nobody ever reads a platform. Nobody reads a platform. Like it's the example that you gave. The guy, the guy's pissed off at the Nika there because he's the mayor, so he's an easy target. So when elections come around, the the, the natural reflex is, what have you guys done? And then he finds the first thing to complain about, and you guys get the worst kind of crap. I mean, you deal with the the potholes, you deal with the the street cleaning, the snow cleaning, the garbage. It, it's just a mess, and I don't even know how you guys do it at the municipal level. But they're gonna find the first thing. And they're going to complain about it. But like you said, what's the alternative? But we don't have an alternative. The alternative is is to be out there and to speak. That, mm-hmm. That's that's the only choice we have. Because if we abdicate to that, then we're not even doing what, what is our real job to have a platform, mm-hmm. to which is really to propose and uh, implement uh, things that matter. So, um, you know, we, we, we in front of cynic, in front of cynical, people uh we just need to be more uh uh convincing Mm -hmm. and 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 preach by example that's ultimately that's the only way that we're going to convince people to at least give a a a chance (coughs) and when i when i tell people look at the end of my term don't don't try to ask don't ask yourself whether you agreed with me 100% of the time obviously right but overall am i governing as you uh, uh as you believe it, re- it it speaks to you as mm-hmm. you believe it 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 it, it hits your core values mm-hmm. but when when you don't even get to that point of getting evaluated because the opposition because yeah, you're the, judged the, by the, image the the media has already portrayed the individual as being discredited and then there's nothing to do here's a th- the sad thing in that situation was that it, it had repercussions on other people as well uh, and i'm thinking about harut which we spoke <clears throat> before we went live uh, in in Saint-Laurent. i'm thinking about annie sanson for example uh, in hansik where you know in, in the back of my mind those you know the, those people were so good at what they were doing, and they were so present in their in their in their respective uh, districts that never would I have thought that they would lose. But I'm convinced that they went down because just of the association they had to um, to the mayor, and because of all that you know image that the negative image that was portrayed on one person, and they all kind of went down in the boat with them. At in Ahut's case, it's actually more particular. Um, uh, Ahut is a scenario which uh, any political uh, analyst could could look into, but as and Ahut had a high profile under Denis Kadak for right? sure. Uh, responsible of La Ville Intelligente, vice chair of the executive committee, uh, had done great as uh, as the chairperson of uh, council. Mm-hmm. Um, and then came the time of the election. Um, Denis won a Hansik. Denis mm-hmm. got, I think, over 5,000 vote uh, majority uh, over um, uh, Valérie Plante. In, uh, in, in, and they shared the same, the same borough with Ahut. Mm-hmm. So when I was saying that people get to vote the way they want, well, there's several thousands of people that voted for Émilie Tullier and for Denis Coderre. 
Mm-hmm. So as much as as much as we say that we're impacted, when I was saying that at the municipal, it's really a 60-40 mm-hmm. or a 55-45, uh, I think Arut is a perfect example of that. Um, uh, people in the west, in the more eastern part of Ahansik, uh, knew Emilie Tullier. Uh, they probably liked Denis as mayor, uh, but they liked their local councillor uh, who was uh, in Ahansik. Emilie has been elected in uh, uh, in Ahansik since two thousand and nine. Uh, Arut was in uh, Bordeaux. Um, and uh, fact of the matter is that I, I, I guess Emilie kept her base uh, in the eastern part uh, of Ahansik, which allowed her to pull it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though people were coming out for Denis, Emilie retained uh, that, that vote uh, rather than people voting for Denis and Arut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So, um, yes, a lot of the, I, I would say that certain other areas uh, went down because uh, overall people were were voting more for the uh, the mayoralty candidate. I, I think of uh, uh, districts such as Tetroville. Uh, so, for one term candidates, one term candidates, one term councillors uh, are usually much more impacted by what happens uh, at the center city or even their local mayor. So in Mercier-Schlager-Maisonneuve, for example, where we have Réal Ménard, who was uh, uh, a known figure in uh, Schlager, obviously, who had been an MP for years with Le Bloc. Uh, Réal Ménard lost uh, to uh, Pierre Lessard-Blay from Projet Montréal. And uh, Réal uh, uh, was running with Denis. Uh, Richard Chelsea lost. Uh, so it, it, I, I guess that certain areas are much more impacted by what happens downtown. Uh, and uh, Arut is a particular case. Yeah. Uh, tell me about a file that you've been working on for a while, the, this uh, this plastic bottle uh, uh, project. Tell me a little bit about it. We, I, we, we made, we took <clears throat> special care today not to have any plastic Thanks, bottles. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you were about to serve. serve uh, I had plastic bottles, yeah, I saw, and then I saw. you know the, the the options for me were: do I just keep the bottles and not post this on YouTube so that it, it wouldn't make a difference? Or uh... I said I'll stay thirsty. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wanted to taste some brassard water. Yeah, tell me, about, um, tell me about it. Well, ultimately, look, it, it, it's a question of being um, not only sensitized at the environmental level, but it's. Um, it, it has to be financially. But what's the main uh, issue here? That they're not being recycled properly, or explain that to me. What? what's there, there's several issues. Uh, the first is that just think of your recycling bin. Mm-hmm. Okay, who collects your recycling bin? So not only is your city awarding a contract so that we could collect your plastic, mm-hmm. just to collect it, then. Sorry, I'll be blunt, but we're suckers enough to then have to. So we, here we are. We're buying the plastic. We're suckers enough to pay to collect it. Oh, let's let's just add a bit to that. We're suckers enough then to pay to recycle it. And because our our plastic isn't worth that much uh, once it's recycled, then obviously sometimes the companies are actually stuck with it. Mm-hmm. The the recycling so. The recycling industry is living uh, tough times. 
the Asian markets have started recycling. And so therefore, they don't purchase as much our raw material as they used to in mm -hmm. the past. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we don't cut down at the source, we're we're gonna and these I'm just talking about those that are recycled. Mm -hmm. We estimate that there's almost 700 million a year that aren't yeah uh, recycled that ended up in landfills. Yeah. And what happens in landfills? Well, in in landfills is that we pay as well by the tonnage on what we we uh, send out. So if we're adding composting, is it's so that we send less to uh to l'enfouissement mm -hmm. to, to landfills if we try to divert our um any uh residues that uh have to be uh, that can't be reused well we're going to pay by tonnage and quebec has given us until 2022 to uh implement measures to reduce and shift uh into either compostable recyclable or reusable. So when we take, for example, um, um, plastic bottle, all right, there's no there's no uh, uh, consigne on it, right? Mm -hmm. Contrary to a a, a can or um, we're paying three times for it. So you're paying for the actual raw material that that the company is producing. Then you're paying to collect. Then you're paying to recycle it. And at the end, it's all our tax uh, dollars. Mm -hmm. Let alone that on the environmental level, uh, it's a total disaster. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether what happens in uh, the dumping that's done in in uh, uh, water in, in lakes in in rivers, uh, what we can't actual actually uh, recycle. So, what I had presented as motion was uh, tabled and was unanimous, unanimously uh, approved. That was a year ago. It was in May in two th May 2008. I had asked that we begin uh, for for the city of Montreal to stop purchasing the bottles, okay? uh, small uh, quantity bottles. So usually 500 mLs and less. So the city of Montreal does no longer purchase any. Other than obviously uh, for uh, safety and urgency measures, mm -hmm. uh, we always keep a, a certain bundle in case that there's a, a water shortage yeah. or so. Um, with regards to that, we adopted it. The second part of my motion was asking that we adopt a strategy. We work on a strategy on how we could eliminate at the source our usage of uh single use plastic mm -hmm. right whether it's uh, whether it's uh, plastic forks whether it's uh, straws whether it's anything uh, uh whatever you buy fruit at the store it comes in a package yeah. you throw in the, the package so it it's it's a whole strategy that we need to work with the industry mm -hmm. and as soon as i had presented my motion who did i have that was lobbying um lobbying to me the main uh, soft drink uh, industry. Yeah. Okay? But the reality is that when you start working with them, there are certain cities in which they uh, already sell in reusable bottles, right? Uh, you're able to fill up your containers uh, at, uh, at several places where if you want to keep on buying soft drinks, your pop and of, of certain brand, we're not saying that, but at least put 
or Quebec has to I maybe ideally uh, put a price on uh, plastic bottles if they want to. But right now, we're definitely not putting in measures to reduce uh, the single-use plastic that we uh, that's overflowing uh, everywhere. The city of Montreal announced yesterday um, that uh, they've mandated the environment department to uh, adopt. Uh, to to present and work on a bylaw uh, to reduce single-use plastic. So I look forward to seeing where uh, she's going, but it's definitely a consequence of my motion. That's awesome. Uh, She announced that yesterday. So basically, you're just waiting on that. But there's no end to that, because at the end of the day, you still have the the provincial government that that has sort of jurisdiction over the the other matters? Um, You're referring to if if they put a price on... Mm -hmm. um, uh, on on a yeah. bottle. Well, yeah. that's one way, right? But w- the one that we would want them to to put a price on is is by far the the glass industry as yeah. well. So whether it's uh, uh, wine bottles, uh, I mean, just think of every single wine bottle that ends up uh, in um, in recycling bins, let alone the garbage. But even if it's in the recycling bins, people need to consider that once it's in that bin. It's costing us, mm-hmm. and it, it, it we pay millions annually, and for companies that may not be able to actually uh, be able to um, resell that raw material afterwards. Mm-hmm. So at least if it's just like beer bottles, we're able to uh, make sure that the industry of the wineries and whichever are able to reuse their bottles. They wash them just like we do with the beer bottles. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a, a 10 cent uh, on it or cans uh, for that matter, uh, for aluminum cans and, and all. Um, so it, it's not a question of being progressive at this point. It's really a question of being financially responsible yeah. as well. Because ultimately people need to realize that we pay. And... If Montreal is building, it wants to build five composting centers uh, to be able to uh, have our, our, our food waste uh, treated, and we saw the disaster in Saint Laurent with uh, the one that the administration is bringing forth with the plant of Saint Laurent, where it's costing us 30 uh, some odd percent more than what it was initially uh, planned. Is there a plan to uh, to create a sort of coalition with other municipalities? And the CMM uh, works already. The uh, Montreal Urban Community uh, already works uh, on various plans uh, on how to um, eliminate uh, or actually work on a various strategy of waste management. So that is, uh, we do have panels where we uh, uh, exchange best best practices. Uh, let me talk about something because um, something happened at the at the city uh, the city council that, in my recollection, hasn't happened in a very long time. Where you had a common motion against the new uh, immigration bill that the provincial government is trying to, uh, um, well, they're they're working on right now. Bill twenty one. Yeah. Bill twenty one. Um. A rather emotional uh, testimony uh, from your side, and you know, even from the uh, from uh, Mayor Plant's uh, uh, team. Uh, why is this so important uh, for you guys? Well, 
first of all, because we once were elected um, by the people of Montreal that represent a whole different mosaic uh, than certain other regions of Quebec. So if we if we already um, consider that our our frame is way different than the others, then it's only obvious that we're 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 much more analytical again and critical of uh, the bill that's before us. And the other thing is that um, whether Premier Legault wants to call it uh, moderate or not, um, we're facing uh, as first uh, people in line, um, always at the municipal level. Well, we we have the responsibility as well to speak up for these people, uh, for the people that are practicing or non-practicing, but that may be wearing a religious symbol, um, that are rendering services uh, for the city as well. So as employer, we have a responsibility to speak up. But as public officials, uh, we definitely hope that Quebec can hear uh, what we're saying. And in Montreal, obviously, we, we are exposed to every single religion. Mm-hmm. We're exposed to every single uh, ethnic background. Um, and we definitely believe that people should be left the choice, of course, with certain standards of uh, uh, being able to see individuals. But to the point of going uh, and, and establishing what a religious symbol is, it's, it's strange. Uh, and I, I, this I'll, I'll say more on a, on a personal note, but as much as we, we applaud and we, we say that we're a secular state and uh, people applaud the removing the crucifix from uh, council chamber or from Quebec uh, because we're a secular state, fine. Nice and dandy that we're a secular state. But why is it that that state should now come and tell us what a religious symbol is? Yeah. Because that's what they're doing. That's what that law is doing. That law is establishing, is deciding what is a religious symbol. Yeah. I'm sorry. But the same way you're telling the church, the, the, the Christians, Muslims, Jews, name them, the same way you're telling them stay out of the government. Well, it's not up to the government to come tell me what a religious symbol is. Yeah. Because what if hypothetically tomorrow one of these religions says, okay, the state has banned such and such, okay, has banned uh wearing uh, a cross. Mm-hmm. Fine. Tomorrow Christians, Catholics say, you know what? Our symbol is no longer the cross. The symbol will be something else. Yeah. They've just bypassed the law. Yeah. It it, it there's just so much I, I, that look, divides in this. I, I that just we think honestly that it's a non-issue because this is basically a, a law that um, will will forbid anyone from wearing a religious symbol in public institutions. Now, I have my my fear is that, and just like with anything, your common person um, will misinterpret the whole thing. And think that, hey, you're walking on the street with your kippah or you're walking on the street with your hijab, uh, you're not allowed. It's against the law. So people, I'm afraid that they will misinterpret the entire thing and it'll create a huge social uh, problem. So 
Uh, one, uh, just from the communications aspect, I think it has to be clarified that it's in public institutions. Um, and, You're right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that bothers me as well is that uh, it it identifies mostly with people within the public institutions that are considered uh, at a position of authority or control. And that's where I have a problem because how is a nurse uh, or a teacher uh, in any uh, position of authority? I mean, it, it, for me, it doesn't make sense. And it's it's it, it has to be, um, it has to concern the services that are rendered. I mean, you have nurses that have the, that wear a headscarf. You have doctors that wear a kippah. I mean, I go to the Jewish hospital all the time. There, does it affect the service that they give me? The fact that they're wearing a, a kippah, or that there's a cross hanger on their neck, or that they're wearing a hijab? Well, they're, they're, I'm not so sure about. It. That's why I think it's a non-issue. Two things: the, have the there, absurdity of the absurdity of the the let's say um, uh, of the bylaw, the bylaw of the bill is that in certain areas, in certain fields of the public sector, the, the individual is not conducting, uh, is not conducting a religious um, gesture. Mm -hmm. So a doctor is doing nothing religious, yeah. doing nothing uh, that that touches ethics, uh, teaching, uh, beliefs. But there haven't. He's there. he's he's doing something medical. Yeah. Right. So, at that point, why should I be judging him based on a symbol that represents yes certain beliefs? Okay. But why should I be judging him on something that he's not executing yeah. on? Yeah. He's he the guy the woman the guy has to be. Pulling a surgery on me. What, what does that have to do with anything yeah. else? That's one. Two, I personally, and this is how I actually said it in a speech, and since then I always say it in, in French, and I'll explain it in English, but ultimately, la neutralité ne se mesure pas sur la base d'un symbole. Mm -hmm. One cannot be wearing a, a, a symbol and not be neutral. Mm -hmm. Who says that because I don't have anything apparent, I'm neutral? Yeah. Right? If I'm a school teacher, if I'm a school teacher, if I'm a, a, a judge, right? Even if I'm a judge, mm -hmm. who says that because I don't have a kippah, a, yeah. a, a woman that doesn't have a hijab, who says that I'm not being biased in my way of thinking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so unfair just by that yeah because it's not the symbol that guarantees the neutrality the the day that the these the day that the people that today have a hijab let's say yeah okay will remove their hijab does it mean that they're less Muslim? Does, it mean, yeah. does it mean that they have less of those core values yeah. in them yeah. that let's say they were in in, in uh, actually uh inculking them yeah it makes no, no, no. bloody sense no. sorry but also the fact that there hasn't been any documented case where in our public institutions this sort of thing is happening. It, I, I don't think so. That, correct. That aspect of the, the argument, I mean, I, uh, to me, a, a, a law has to be there to, uh, to serve in, in due course, right? In the sense that 
it's not because it's not happening that we shouldn't have something that uh, frames that yeah. scenario. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Clarity Act exists. Are we going to say uh, the Clarity Act shouldn't be a law in Canada because yeah, there's no referendum right now? Interesting. Okay. So th that aspect, I'm less. But there's already prone look, to it the, the of saying. I don't have a police in Montreal that wants to wear a turban. I don't have a police in Montreal that I want to. Yeah. That, that aspect, but that's I, why, it, it could come. But that's why the, the, the previous government had legislated already on that uh, in, in, in rendering the services with your, with your face uncovered. So Correct. whether you're receiving a service as a citizen or whether as a, as a state employee you're giving, you're offering a service, your face needs to be uncovered. And that I agree with. But to push the limit there and say, listen, you're going to have to take out your uh, your cross or find another job, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how bluntly he said it. Yeah, yeah no, but that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> find another yeah. job. No, you have to get another uh, job. To, and then a, the job yeah. a job somewhere down the line, this this man, this premier should be reminded that is a vocation as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And some teachers are called upon being a teacher first and foremost yeah. because you either have a gift of being a, a pedagogical person or you don't, right? Obviously, we're stuck with some teachers that should never have become teachers, yeah. right? But someone that really has a vocation is best, whether they're wearing a hijab or not, I couldn't give a hoot. Yeah, but you see, the, the, the paradox in this whole thing is that he was actually elected based on this platform. And it's what you said in the beginning, that the reality is so much different uh, in the big metropolitan areas, you know, Montreal, Laval, maybe Quebec City, Sherbrooke, like the biggest, the big cities, than the rest of Quebec, like in the regions. Denis appelait ça le réflexe Montréal. Yeah. Denis a fait adopter la loi sur la métropole Justement parce que, pas pour créer une nation dans la nation, c'est pas l'objectif, c'est d'être factuel. Nous avons une réalité qui est très différente. Yeah. Et est-ce qu'on peut au minimum... Sorry, I'm, I, 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 I shift on there, French. There, well, there you go, that's the reality over here. <laughs> um, can we at least realize that there's a different context? And you know what? It serves Quebec overall yeah. because when you implement certain things over here, one day they may be exportable elsewhere. The, 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 the way we apply, look, multiculturalism is, is one thing. We, we talk about um, le vivre ensemble. In Saint-Laurent, why is it that we... We don't hear about clashes. We don't hear... Honestly, overall in Montreal, we don't hear no, about, uh, about they, clashes. Because they've lived but to coexist. Sal but Saint Laurent has been living this coexistence for 40 years. Yeah. The first waves of immigrants that came in Saint Laurent were the boat people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Cambodia, they fled yeah. uh, the, the wars and civil wars. And so as other waves of immigrants came in, you're of Greek descent, I'm of Italian descent. The way... Our ancestors were welcomed in Canada. wasn't the same thing. wasn't the no, same thing, no. right? I have I have uh, 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 people that could be my grandparents that used to be sitting in a cafe. Uh, police would come in, arrest them all, for sure. There was take judgment. them, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it, it was a total different. We don't live that. Mm -hmm. Thank God, mm -hmm. right? We don't treat our immigrants. We don't generalize as much as at the time right italians at the second world war were arrested because in italy they were 
they were with the Germans. Yeah, and yeah. so they were an enemy country. Yeah. And the Italians over here were suffering because the of that. Even though yeah. they were over here, they were Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. They were being treated as if they were the enemies. So we've learned from mistakes. So can we at least be coherent yeah. and 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 be um and learn out of the places where it works? And and Saint Laurent is one of those examples where 40 years ago already the, there was this proximity between various uh communities that got together and 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 built um what today is a a, a great mosaic. Now, yes, of you see where I Low, where I have a problem with this bill as well is that when I hear my premier say, c'est comme ça que ça se passe au Québec. Yeah, it's not, it, but it's not. Where? Yeah, exactly. Where? But where, so, Mr. Le? So hypothetically, let's say uh, this new bill passes with a declaration that you're stating that you're uh, obviously against it. How would you uh, apply this law if... At all, you would. We uh, didn't go as far as um, uh, coming out and saying we will not uh, have the law applied. Right? Uh, I don't think it's responsible per se to to uh, to say that. I think our role is the one of coming out strongly during the process of adoption, right? And we were confident enough that whether it's through uh commission parlementaire uh, uh parliamentary uh standing committee that's going to be uh, hearing us out hopefully the government will not uh impose uh, the adoption of the law uh in the coming weeks without listening to all the parties that want to uh, speak up and so our job right now is to work as this bill be amended um and not take for granted that it will be amended like this so the declaration was definitely a way to speak up against the present bill mm -hmm. it's one thing to speak against the bill and we have all the legitimacy 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 sorry yeah. to do so um but once i mean we'll we're not going to take for granted that it's going to be adopted in this uh in this fashion but it's hard to imagine how in a city like montreal something like this would function i mean i i definitely can't see it Well, that's why it's it's our role to be able to convince the government at least to have a chapter, uh, maybe for Montreal to exclude it, to uh, exclude it, to uh, give us more leverage. Uh, we we can't take for granted that it's going to be uh, adopted as such. Um, and I I won't take I'm not going to consider uh, hypothetically that it will be adopted as such. I I. My duty is to make sure that we are our voices uh, spoken and, and listened to loud and clearly so that uh, ultimately the government uh, yeah. adopts it differently. Because last, uh, last I heard, I mean, they want to they proceed uh, with this quickly. The, quickly, uh, yeah. the, quicker, uh, uh, the quicker possible. But, uh, and, and by doing so, they're limiting uh, the presence the of, um, of different actors that can contribute to the... Yeah. To the decision-making process correct but hey look i mean how can they how can they not even listen out to um the spokespeople the spokespersons of each religion well, yeah no, but, yeah that right? that one but also the different uh, municipalities uh i mean it they're, they're i think they're gonna they're gonna let the city of montreal speak i mean it's it's unimaginable 
to pass a bill like this and not have uh, the opinion of, you know, the city of Montreal, Laval, um, you know. They, they have not only, it's a, it, the mandate is early. Right, we're early in the mandate. It's not, uh, uh, it's not a pure coincidence that he's uh, tabled this immediately. Right, it's so that people can uh, eventually move on to other stuff, uh, other issues. So I understand that they want to proceed probably early, uh, but the reality is that they're still going to have to listen out. If not, if they don't go get the social uh acceptancy of this bill uh the the problem is going to be in 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 applying it afterwards that's the issue and so they need to get a broad consensus at least uh from the the major players uh in the province so that then at least other people can defend it look i'll i'll, I'll tell you uh, i'll i'll take the example of i'll take the example of the reaction of the diocese of montreal uh, when uh, the administration came out and said we will remove the crucifix from, uh, uh, from council. Yeah. Okay? Contrary to, and this is what I hold against uh, the mayor, is that contrary to Quebec, where they at least passed a vote, you know, mm -hmm. she took the decision on her own. Mm -hmm. And uh, she didn't allow us as uh, councillors to speak on it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I hold against her, uh, against the mayor of Montreal, is that we weren't even allowed to speak up and say what we thought. But the uh, Archbishop of Montreal, Christian Lépine, came out, and obviously with every legitimacy to do so, because people were making the liaison between uh, uh, the crucifix and Christians, and what is the, 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 the leader of Catholics, mm -hmm. a big portion of Christians in Montreal, think. And his answer was simple. It's the elected officials that put it in 1930, or whichever date it was. It's up to them to decide to remove it. Yeah, I don't have something to say for a, a civil chamber, mm -hmm. right? But what is the role of the government to come tell a Christian on what to wear, mm -hmm. to come tell a Muslim on what to wear, to yeah. come tell a Jewish on what to wear. Yeah. The same, the same discretion, the same, uh, not discretion, the same discretion, um, the, the same um, subtleness uh, in which the uh, archbishop had for uh, a governmental entity that wanted to remove his crucifix well, you would expect at least the government to respect the freedom of wearing an item which is religious. It has nothing to do with the government. Yeah. Look, him, his, um, you know, just to play devil's advocate, because he did win with a, with a pretty um, uh, marking majority. And in his point of view, of course, Montreal is a completely different world. And I think we can all understand it. But when you're looking at, the entire province of Quebec, uh, and of course you have the biggest city, right? Montreal, that right now came out against it. It should kind of ring some bells, raise some flags. But, you know, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, th from their point of view, they're like, listen, we got elected. Okay, forget about Montreal, because I think they have one uh, MA from Montreal, I think, if I'm not Two. 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 Um, so 
the rest of Quebec seems to be on board with us. They elected us. This was on our platform. Uh, and we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna move forward with it. I'm not sure this was in their platform it was. per se. No, no. It what, was. what I'm trying to say is that I think that they're they're doing. They are referring to two two aspects of what people want. People want a clarity on what um, on the respect of almost a, a base of nationalism, right? on uh, what are common grounds on what and, and and this whole debate, if you recall, during the campaign was referring to the quotas of immigration. Mm-hmm. It was referring to uh, la francisation uh, of, of immigrants as they arrive. Uh, he couldn't even answer the question of how long it takes to to become a, yeah, a, a yeah. citizen. Yeah. okay? Regardless of that, what I'm trying to say is that it's that he it was a melting pot of all these ideas, of the um, concept of the topic of immigration. It, it, it was not necessarily on what will the uh, bill state on religious symbols. Of course, we know that the previous government as well had come up with uh, uh, a bill uh, at the time. I, I think, 62, I think. Uh, I think it, was, it ended up being... Re- no, no, it, it, it passed. That's the, that's the bill that uh, removes um, that... that um, uh, that states basically that all services need to be rendered uh, with with uh, your face uncovered. Exactly. And it also rejected the propositions that had been made previously by the Bouchard-Taylor. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Now, it, in that, he could have closed that chapter. He could have left it as is. But we thought it was right? done. I mean, this is it. Exactly. We already, had a, we already have a But bill. he took this, appears to me that he took the whole concept of revisiting immigration, revisiting that. We saw what he did with the the bill on immigration, right? First, he stops the uh, process of I don't know how many thousands yeah. of of uh, uh, applicants, which made no sense because he was actually implementing, putting in 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 practice what was still a bill. Mm-hmm. So the courts had to come tell him, um, no, sorry, you're going to keep on mm-hmm. processing yeah. these files up until. Uh, the law isn't adopted. But even this pro- even this bill, in terms of legality, I'm not sure it would pass the test, which is why he's invoking he's the notwithstanding clause. Standing clause. So uh, in any case, but even that, applying the notwithstanding clause on this issue, I'm not even sure if it's going uh, to pass or not. But in any case, it stirred up a whole debate um, in, in Quebec and most certainly in the more uh, diverse, I guess, cities like Montreal. Um, Again, look, the argument the argument can always be made that, you know, the guy the guy was elected uh, you know, with a clear but no one no one is disputing his legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Look, I I'll give you the example of when uh, when uh, uh, Stephen Harper got elected and and beat Stefanzio. Yeah. Okay? Uh, we're in 2008 and as soon as they go back to parliament, if you recall, he tables a, a, a budget that created no consensus whatsoever. If you recall, the opposition parties got together, uh, the Liberals, the NDP, and the um, Bloc Québécois at the time, 
and they created a coalition to form a new government, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because it was a minority government yeah. that uh, that Stephen Harper got elected in 2008. So it's not because you have the power and you you just got elected that all of a sudden you need to ignore anything that comes no, with it. But there's a big difference in what you're saying is that he had a minority government, so you can't really state that, oh, I have a clear mandate from the people. So, no, you don't. In this case... He doesn't have a... Oh, he, well, he, he didn't get elected with over 50% of the population vote, uh, of no, the popular no, vote. No, That's no, why no, he's he going to get the PQ vote. That's why he's going. he's trying to get the PQ... Uh, to support it, no, no, no. So he has both together. No, no. He has majority in the house. He no, has majority. Course, in the I'm house. not talking about majority. I'm talking about uh, suffrage universel. Okay, yeah. He does not. He's far away. He does not have. What did 50, he get? He got what thirty? Uh, I think he's close to forty. If 40, not, yeah, uh, okay. Uh, okay. So it's. I think he was at 41, 42. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. That being said, he's far away from his 50%. Yeah, yeah. So you want to count the seats? I don't count the seats. That, that, that's parliamentary uh, mm-hmm. uh, stuff. Uh, le suffrage universel is is when you have a, at least a consensus. Mm-hmm. That's why, at least democratically, he said, let me go get... Obviously, he didn't say this publicly, but yeah, yeah. strategically, we understand that that's what he's doing. But even the he's PQ trying has to get the consensus yeah. of the PQ. So he figures... The PQ had a... So his closest ally in that respect, but even the way that it's presented, I'm not sure that the, the, the PQ is entirely uh, uh, on board. Well, it seems the signals that we've heard until now is that they were on board. Now he's working hard to get them on board so that he could say, look, PQ is for it. The CAC is for it. We represent 52%, 51% of the population. It's... we yeah. we. That's what we uh, uh, that's what we have a mandate for, but you can't lose it out of you know you, you can't be out of touch like this. And I personally think that in the way, shape, and form that this bill is written, it's out of touch. Just like the courts came to tell him that uh, he was out of touch mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, with the immigration files, yeah. right? And, and, and look how. I'm sorry, but when the when an injunction is what actually has to put you back on track, uh, when it, it's what we spoke about the most, eh? Mm-hmm. Is the amount of immigrants that we were gonna welcome during the campaign? Yeah, that, that, it I, it's one of the, it's it one main of the topic. main topics yeah. that that came in, and it was one of his major first bills that he presented. Yeah, and what did he have to do? He had to backtrack. Yeah. So, what I'm saying is, you can't govern as if nothing else exists around you yeah and presently i think this bill uh he opinionates himself as it being um uh, a bill that uh has a, a broad consensus i think that people are majority majority of the people are in favor of having measures that assure uh secularism I, i'm totally convinced of that yeah um but i think in certain aspects it's going too far uh we'll have to wait and see i mean it'll be interesting because he's gonna come uh in, he's gonna come into a clash obviously with the federal guys um and their uh, their election is up and coming in in october We'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. It's quite particular for for um, 
for the liberals on how they're going to play this one, uh, for the federal liberals, because on one hand, they need Quebec to, 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 to get uh, to hope getting reelected it's not only quebec they need look they need ontario quebec the course, majority, but right now they yeah. know that they know that they're they're still front runners in quebec problem is is that if they speak up too loud against this bill and in the other regions the consensus is there to 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 be in favor of bill 21 I'm not sure they're going to speak so loud. The, 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 MPs, the MPs are going to be very differently the ones in positioned, the, the one in the reg- yeah. regions versus the ones that came out I agree uh, with you. And it's, a very, and it's a very particular context because if you consider most of his support coming from Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes, they have all elected right-wing governments provincially. Uh, well, we saw again uh, in uh, Prince Edward Island PEI, uh, this week. So I don't know if uh, I don't know what's going on in that cabinet, but I'm sure there's a lot of people sweating right now. Um, it's gonna be a tricky one, and of course, you and I both know that it's always it's it's too soon, right? It's no, it al- too soon. It's always it's too, soon. too soon. It's always too soon. But we we heard we heard the federal MPs in in Montreal already speaking out forcefully against the bill. Uh, not shying away at well, all. Well, they have no choice because, based on the uh, the charter, I mean, there, I, I'm can, I'm not a lawyer. I mean, maybe you can say this, but I don't see where there's any legality with this. It goes against the charter. I uh, mean, the charter protects your religious rights and freedoms, right? And that includes wearing your religious symbol. Um, so, in 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 theory, that's what it is. Um, it has to be a reasonable request. Uh, to be able to uh, limit that. Uh, now, is it considered reasonable uh, for an employer of the state to say uh, you can't? Um, that, that that's a legal question that uh, courts uh, might be able to to answer. But for the time being, I mean, we know that the highest court uh, came to already protect that uh, with came to the time of. Uh, uh, the RCMP, I think that uh, out west, out, yeah, yeah. So, so there's definitely precedence there. But look, he's invoking the notwithstanding clause, so that wouldn't even it wouldn't even matter uh, what the precedent is uh, across the country. So, um, I, I know you're busy, man. I don't want to keep you too long. I want to talk to you about one last uh, issue that has been happening that has intrigued me entirely, and that's the the, the Royal Mount project, which is a huge development mm-hmm. project. Um, it's happening in a city that isn't part of the the the, the Montreal uh, uh, administration. Administration. They've started this project, and then suddenly the city of Montreal just blocks it. Um, what is going on? Why do we? Why? Why is there this sentiment that? And it's not only coming from me. There's a lot of people that I've spoken to. Um, it seems that every time there's a step forward toward progress, you know, economic development, this is hu- it's a huge project, Royal Mount. We're talking about billions of dollars, thousands of uh, uh, residential spaces, commercial spaces. Uh, and the main issue is the traffic. I mean, we're stopping a project because we can't figure out what's going to happen with the traffic situation. Uh, personally, I don't see that we have to look at it only on the aspect of the traffic. I, I think the first... But that was the main thing. That, that was one of the main reasons. Because it's the one thing that people... Uh, that resonates the most, right? Mm-hmm. To people. But um, traffic is a consequence of integration, right? So the first question that we need to ask ourselves with regards to this project is, how well does it integrate 
in its surrounding area, mm -hmm. in its environment, okay? Then the traffic is a consequence of, mm -hmm. right? So the first thing is, how's this integrating itself where we are? Mm -hmm. We're in the heart of the island. Mm -hmm. We're at the junction of the 15 the two biggest and the 40. Yeah. We're um, at the junction of... Uh, communities that keep on growing, whether it's Celera, uh to the north, whether it's Côte de Neige, which which is already uh, the the most uh, the highest density in Montreal uh, as Boro, uh, mm -hmm. they're already at one hundred seventy thousand people, biggest Boro, um, and here we are. We had office space with Ericsson that occupied uh, pretty much. Uh, the biggest part of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mount Royal having, yes, the governance of the, uh, the city of Mount Royal having the governance of the project. So as Royal Mount came up uh, and acquired this land, uh, they obviously were working with uh, the, city the, the city of TMR, got their, uh, I would say, uh, consensus on the overall project. And here we are a few years ago, Montreal, um, Montreal was put in front of this situation where we were now wondering, okay, well, now what, right? Here we are, we're, we're it's in the heart of Montreal, but we don't have much say on it, right? And so there's a governance issue as well, right, on this. But that's the way the law is made. That's mm -hmm. the way... Uh, uh, Post what? post the mergers, that's how it worked, what? right? Why, Since two thousand and five, Montreal have a say. Why mm -hmm. or, or why should it have a say? Yeah. Uh, well, why should it have a say? Is that we're, we're in the heart of the city, and you're you're definitely. Uh, but the project is in another. Uh, the project is entirely in the city of TMR. Exactly. But TMR doesn't float in the air. TMR is surrounded, as we said, of uh, Côte d'Ineige. Of uh, yeah, okay. Celeron, I understand, and you you definitely have an impact overall in your surrounding area. So, if all of a sudden you're changing uh, the 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 zoning, you're changing the game plan of a huge area like that. Well, you definitely need to do it in cooperation, but the governance doesn't oblige him to do so, mm -hmm. right? So. When the Economic Development uh, Commission, Standing Committee in Montreal, came out forcefully against it, they didn't come out against the development of the land. They came out against the project that was presented at the time by the promoter. And this is our bread and butter daily at the municipal level. We could have land undeveloped for years if the promoter that comes and presents a project is no added value mm -hmm. to, to our city, is no added value to uh, what we really want to create as a community. So what's the so solution? Because I, no, I think they're still going on there. I mean, Of course they're going on because, I mean, ultimately we don't have that much... <clears throat> that much leverage to, to 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 block it. So they're demolishing the former, uh, the previous buildings. We still hope that... Uh, Carbon Leo and 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 the promoter of Royal Mount can change their project, densify 
as well. We were asking residential. Why were we asking residential to put in it? But there is going to be residential. There wasn't. It, it, it was never its its primary yeah, okay. uh, thing. It was a leisure place. It was a commercial. Yeah, hotel. It, it, uh, yeah. it was the whole shebang. The reality is that when you create, um, uh, when you you bring in residential, you're bringing in accountability to what you're building, because then your your commercial is becoming your accessory to your resident, mm-hmm. okay. because you're building something for the residents first of all, but last rather I, yeah. than being just a a, a a parachuted project that is for anyone but the people around it but last i checked the, there there is res, unless i'm wrong but i think there is residential so now but it was never the primary no i know but now i think they they're Correct. gonna have so but that's because we've been the city of montreal has been promoting and pushing that so, as much as we can so what's so, gonna happen i mean if if the city came out and said look we're putting a uh, stop to this temporarily until we figure whatever uh something out they're still continuing at some point i mean there's gonna be a clash there i mean they're gonna start building because technically you can't stop them in, right in now they're cities. still demolishing yeah so right? what's gonna happen so when it, they're in it, the next phase it, it, it's a question of making and and obviously this was on a plan of certain amount of years they they weren't building within a year uh, everything that went with it so uh the question is if there's more residential if there's a better integration with the surroundings um there's a possibility of not creating something that is just parachuted uh, uh a recreation center that you know, the surprise, the wow factor, it lasts a few years. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll take the example, and you live close to it. I'll take the example of the Le Distrante. Yeah. Which is an amazing project. An amazing project, yeah. which is, is vacancy has never been as high. Right? So it was high. It, it, the vacancy rate of Le Distrante yeah. was extremely low at the beginning because it was the happening. Right? How much do you... How much do people actually get stuff delivered at home? How much Amazon sales, eBay, and everything it's in this world? It's changed everything. I, I have in Saint Laurent, in my district, uh, the biggest Canada Post plant yeah. uh, in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Uh, second uh, second uh, largest uh, center that receives parcels for Canada. Right? Hundreds of trucks that deliver millions of parcels a year, right? If I had to put together the stores that just pass by, just in material through there, I would need probably uh, three uh, discounts. You wouldn't have the space. The the reality is that everything is changing. The market for big-size commercial uh, space is not the same anymore. And we can't build on the island today when we densify ourselves, when we we can't use the land in a, a philosophy of the, the, the 70s, where mm-hmm. it was still ample space, mm-hmm. uh, where we, we, we did not consider the price of land. But look, this is you can't compare both projects because first of all, Brossard, uh, the city of Brossard is completely empty. So that project initiated a whole other uh, series of residential projects. And so the city is expanding 
uh, in consequence of this. Um, Montreal, it's the opposite. The residential is there. Uh, so you can't really, like, the consequences in Brossard because of this project um, has expanded the city, which is a good thing, I think. Montreal. You you believe that Zistrant came and brought in yeah. citizens? Of course. I don't think that the merchants uh, wanted to come in a, in a farm uh, where there was nothing already. So Brossard was already densifying itself when when yeah. they came in they probably came in even even too early and that's the problem for businesses businesses usually go where they have a a, a, a achalandage recurrent mm-hmm. okay. right who in god's name if you don't have the if you don't have the facility of accessing the place who in god's name will want to go to a royal mount unless you live close to it Unless you, you, but I mean, here we have people from Saint Laurent that were doing everything in place to 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 bring in public mass transit, uh, three stations of the REM, um, well, two new stations and three uh, uh, from the former uh, Montreal Two Mountain, uh, increasing, and we see it with the administration. Uh, with 300 new buses that are going to be coming by the th- end of 2020, they're going to be start uh, being delivered. What I'm saying is that the, if if we already have so many ja- traffic jams, and it's it's by far one of the hottest spots on the island it of is. Montreal, it is the 15 and the 40, where you have people crossing from Laval, people crossing from east-west Montreal, it's all congested over there. What I'm saying is that what is going to be the incentive for outskirts people to go there? There won't be. It will have to be nourished by people that live close to it, that can either uh, uh, don't have that much of a long drive to go, that can go by public transit. And so therefore, that's why we were pushing for it to be a more autonomous project rather than being it was initially designed as a project that was a distant. Mm-hmm. That was a place that was supposed to become an attraction for out people. But how can you have out people if you can't, if it's constantly jammed around there? Well, um, look, I'm not sure if I agree with you. One, you, this project is being built smack in the middle of Montreal. So the residential uh, sectors are all over. So automatically, yes, you're right. You will be servicing the people that live in proximity. But because of the fact that it's such a um, a busy intersection of two highways, um, I don't see why people wouldn't stop in there. I mean, why why wouldn't they? Someone 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 working in Montreal, we're, for example. But we're saying the same thing. We're saying the thing. We're saying that it's it's not yeah, but an we're autonomous at, project. Yeah, but we're it's looking a at, project that's going to depend on people passing by there. So what we're saying is, can look, we I'm looking, can we find a, look, we're looking a at better it. just middle on having people that can actually create a neighborhood, create a neighborhood, and if it attracts people from outside, Tom, you're yeah, but the look, neighborhood look already exists. Look, let's say. I think I think we're looking at it from different perspectives because I'm looking at it uh, from the point of view of the feasibility of this project, which I think is going to be there. You have the residential all over the place because you're smack in the middle of Montreal. You have some of the the most um, inhabited uh, boroughs all around, and you have 
the 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 traffic of people either going to Laval or you know moving because it's the two busiest intersections. You're looking at it from the perspective of it's going to create too much uh, uh, too much traffic. I'm saying that. L- let me give you an example. Let me. You work in Montreal. Yep. You live in Laval. Okay. You're crossing through, and you're like, you know what? Let me stop in. Let me get whatever. That's feasible. It's going to happen. Until the person doesn't need to stop there. Uh, until the person doesn't... I mean, you do that when it makes sense to do it, in the sense that you want to learn, you want to find out how the place is, you want to... Uh, uh, but the, the reality is that the transit, if you base yourself just on transit, you're only going to increase that traffic that's already there. Okay. And our objective is the one to give various alternatives to people rather than increasing the 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 hotspots of Montreal. So here's how I see it. Okay, we know that there's a, there's going to be a main issue of traffic. Instead of the solution being pause the project, stop it, billions of dollars being injected, uh how about we find the solution of the traffic? But the the solution of the traffic is not to make a two-way uh uh a two-decker highway. The solution of the traffic is to give alternatives to people, right? Okay. And the alternatives to people are to invest in mass transit. If we keep on densifying Montreal, if we keep on welcoming uh, and opening our doors to immigration as we should, because we need mm-hmm. immigration. If um, we want to densify Montreal because that's where we have our mass transit, well, it's by diverting people from the the main uh road such as the f- mm-hmm. the the 15 and and the 40 so the shift we're looking to do it otherwise i agree with you there's some people that will remain on the 15 and on the 40 they will remain uh and and that's how you're going to alleviate traffic the only way to alleviate traffic is to shift people el- elsewhere because you're not going to build new roads that's you not, can't. It's impossible. That, that, that's Especially not where <laughs> that's not where you 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 build okay. new, right? So, other than opening up Cavendish, that's still something that uh, uh, we would love to have the government work on it mm-hmm. in in the city of Montreal. Uh, but that's again for residential purposes, so that we could give alternatives to people that inhabit the areas. Over here, again, for this project to be more autonomous it has to make sure that it has people around it that want to create a neighborhood not to excuse me to say it as such but just throw out there a whole bunch of boxes that are going to be commercial and until it works it works until uh, it's dead it's dead but you don't see it as something complementary to the existing residential areas we, we don't lack businesses in montreal I'm not saying that it's a new area that's developing himself. I agree with you. To, the, to it, it's different than the Zistrant. Like when you're, you, you're thinking, when, you're well, th- I'm saying that a Zistrant develops itself in new areas. There's nothing new around there. What I'm saying is that it's densifying itself. I don't need. There's no need for. Uh, 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 there's no lack of services. You're referring uh, more to in the commercial. You're referring more to something like what happened in Griffintown, for example, where naturally res- uh, the residential sector boomed, and at the same time, uh, the business kind of were attracted and it created like a uh, an interesting hub uh, to be in. Yeah, but I, but I, but but not not only uh, if I take the example of uh, in Saint Laurent, mm-hmm. because I have the 
luxury of and and luxury i should call it the luck mm -hmm. of having an area that's still being developed um hold on a second doesn't matter we'll, we'll have the recording um we have the luxury of having a um we have the luxury of having a, a, a land that's still being developed so if i take the former airport of cartsville that became afterwards uh Boisfran, um i still have land to develop in Boisfran. it's only obvious that on henri bourassa front of Boisfran, i have a new mm -hmm. uh, uh commercial that developed itself but what did we do we made sure that it wasn't just a regurgitation of commercial uh things yeah. we 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 had a mixity so you have condos on top you have uh, apartments on top you have commercial at the bottom so that there's a, a, a an integration and a mixity over here it was not in the plans whatsoever other than to have mass uh commercial recreational uh, some office space and with no sense of neighborhood mm -hmm. because it's not you know you're not on a a little uh uh une avenue a strip uh street uh commercial uh stretch uh street that that had create uh, could create a uh, uh animation mm -hmm. because they're gonna stay there whether it's saint denis saint laurent mm -hmm. uh saint laurent in little italy yeah. saint laurent uh in uh, the portuguese area and the jewish area uh downtown life over here, we were just we're in in something that could last 15, 20 years, whichever time it lasts. It, it, our objective is when we build, and that's the that's the the huge difference as municipal officials. We have to make sure that what we build today is something that on the long run still makes sense for 50, 60, 70 years, a hundred years, mm -hmm. and not just create something that in theory, is something that will last 20, 20 years? I don't know. The, the way I see it, they're, they're bringing in a project uh, within a neighborhood that already exists. So I understand what you're saying. You know, the, the, the purpose of developed there's neighborhoods. No, there's no neighborhood. Sure there's there no is. Neighborhood. The, there's, there's neighborhoods not far, but that in itself is not a neighborhood. No, I understand that. But you're never going to create a neighborhood over there because it's probably, aside maybe St. Lawrence, it, it's probably one of the most industrial areas in montreal no. neighborhoods create themselves in the even the the smallest places so how would you create a neighborhood over there by making sure that there's a mixity of all services making sure that there's residential making sure that there's a school making sure that there's commercial that respond to the needs of those people that are going to live there mm -hmm. i don't need people to just come in and out of an area and that don't care for it at the end of the day okay you uh, 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 a neighborhood is in itself something that auto suffices itself it, 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 and not just a happening place not just a because if not we're just creating boxes that are going to welcome people in the morning and they're going to be leaving at night and 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 yeah. and you don't there's no it 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 creates uh, isolated places uh, whereas when you create a neighborhood, you make sure that there's a mixity of all services. But it's a particular area. I mean, it's very difficult for me to imagine uh, creating what you, the, the, um, that kind of format over there when it doesn't exist anyway. Come in Nouveau Saint Laurent, come in Boisfranc, come in Griffintown, come in Mercier Schlager Maisonneuve. The the 
places that you never even imagined where neighborhoods created themselves created themselves. Yeah, because it's a neighborhood. That's what I'm saying. Oshlagam no, is the neighborhood. It's already a neighborhood. themselves. You don't, you create you have the luxury of having prime land and I'm going to go shoot boxes of, of of office space and 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 but that's and, what, but but Frank, that's what it was before. But that's why it doesn't make sense to keep it that way. Look at look at what I'm doing on Marcel Lorraine, just just north of that. Let me interrupt you a second. What if this is the first step into modifying that whole area? Because look, if, if you're killing it for 20, 30 years, why would you be killing it for 20 in, years? In the sense that if you don't, it, it, the la carte blanche, la carte blanche, the 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 drawing board you have it today, mm-hmm. right? If you just develop quickly something that's fast and, and easy to develop you're stuck for 20 30 years no 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 it's not true look you take griffintown for example which was a, a highly industrialized area correct and in the last 10 15 years it has converted dramatically correct. for the better i think correct so you have this project happening look forget about this project just for a second you take a drive or you take a walk in that sector there's car dealerships there's businesses there's a uh, you know industrial spaces it doesn't really look like a neighborhood. We will agree to that. So you have this project coming in that is going to create hotels. It's going to create uh, residential spaces. So there is a, a residential. Cre- it was the furthest thought of theirs. Last, I think last time I checked, uh, yes, they have integrated. But because so, we've been pushing. And it's a good thing. But what I'm trying to say is that there is actually living space, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a residential area, whatever it is, there's living space, which before, I mean, now, I mean, I don't think it exists. You have to go further either into Codenage or you got to go. There's uh, a hotel across. There's a near Ruby Foods there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So if this. And that, it, that Ruby Foods obviously exists because there's industrial around because there's office space around and it's to welcome people that are usually there for business reasons Mm -hmm. right um now but imagine all all we're saying is that a neighborhood creates itself if you have a mixity of everything and if you're able to bring in transit method of accessing it properly right um just north of that, in Saint Laurent, at the entrance of Saint Laurent, and 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 it's not a surprise because back then Saint Laurent developed itself around industrialization. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was fine and dandy when um, Montreal was where it was at 60, 70 years ago. You would go further in the outskirts to uh industrialize and so at the entrance of Saint Laurent as soon as you leave the 40 you come in on the Marcel Laurent you used to have Honeywell that was a big okay. industrial plant you're in the heart of a city now I'm no longer a suburb mm-hmm. I'm no longer uh at the merger Saint Laurent was 73,000 people mm-hmm. at the mergers mm-hmm. in 2001 today we are 105,000 people. That is, do the math, 30,000 people more. 30,000 on 75 is close to 40% more, mm-hmm. right? So what I'm saying is that I can't give the same services to a community of 105,000 than a community of, of 70, 74. Yeah. I have to think differently. 
if people if if people find a, a reason to come live in 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 the heart of the city well it's definitely because there's various advantages to it right so that being said why was i talking about the site of honeywell is that we re uh, vitalized that area redeveloped that area and it's going to be uh, a, a new residential development mm-hmm. called midtown um so I invite you to 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 look into it. A project is called Mid Midtown uh, by Urban Capital, and we made sure that there's a a, a mixity of of uh, uh, elements that will attract the people to live in 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 what will become de facto a neighborhood within a, a an area that's already existent. Over here, as you said, when Ericsson left. You could be very easily in a no man's land. Mm-hmm. You have a physical barrier right next to it, which is the 15, which is the Dakari Expressway. So there's no integration towards the area that's right on the east of that, right? Which is the one in in, in the uh, TMR, mm-hmm. uh, most western part of TMR, as well as a portion in, in, in uh, uh, Côte des Neiges, de la Savane area. That being said, so there's a physical barrier there. We have the former hypodrome on the other side that's still not developed. We don't know where that's going. And then you have the triangle in Côte d'Ange that's densifying itself uh, tremendously along Jean Talon and, and all that, yeah. the La Savane area. So if you want to, obviously, the promoters saw a potential in saying, you know what? It's densifying itself all around. Let me come and bring businesses. That's how they saw it. Mm-hmm. Initially, I'm positive that that's how they saw it. Okay. They took advantage of the fact that they were the 15, at the 40. They figured, you know what? I'm going to have also transit. I'm going to have people coming from outside. But without an integration, they came as, okay, There's it's densifying itself around. There's going to be the hyperdrome that's going to densify. I'm going to come and create a, a, a mass commercial and office space so that I could I could attract some of these people that live around. But when you don't integrate itself, the other projects in itself had their own mixity uh, with commercial space at the bottom of their, their condos, apartments, whatsoever. So... When you don't come in because it was a, a, a city in itself, a TMR, it's not as if there's a, a, a working progress at the urban planning level of the same services, right? So everyone is a bit of a slow working uh, in their own court. And so that's why we came to say, you should be creating a neighborhood. You should be creating something that will um, will have various services, including residential. And luckily, now they're working on the residential. Um, look, there's potential. You're in the heart of Montreal. Yeah. You're in the heart of the island. It's not a place where you just put boxes. So, so where are they now? I mean, um, is there a follow-up? Is there any way that... Um, at the end of it all, it's just going to come to a blockade 
and it's just going to come into we, a conflict? Or? I, I, I don't believe that we have any power to block this. Okay. Our objective in this was to have a better project. We yeah. never wanted to block Carboleo. We never wanted to block the development of Royal Mount. But the same way that I constantly, daily, yesterday, I sat down with my urban planning uh, uh, director and we're working on something, on a plan, for uh, on a project uh, for a street in Saint Laurent. Exactly the same situation. Obviously, this is a bigger scale, mm -hmm. right? It's a bigger land. And so you speak about it more and it makes the media a bit more. But I'm doing the same thing on a, on a smaller scale in Saint Laurent on a street that uh, is historically entirely uh, um, uh, industrial. What's the game changer of Royal Mount is you have one landlord. You have one owner. Mm -hmm that wants to develop the whole shebang. Yeah. Whereas usually in places that are built in, in other communities, you go, you have a stretch between uh, Marcel Lorrain, Alexis Neon, uh, between Henri Bourassa and uh, Poirier. You, you, you develop in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Look at, in, in Park X, for example, what happened in, in, in the whole area of uh, near the, the Castelnau Metro, yeah. right? Uh, the Alexandra area, right? Well, that was entirely manufacturing, mm -hmm. right? Of course, yeah. Entirely manufacturing. And it's not one owner that managed to put all the pieces together, right? Uh, so okay. were we going to say, uh, you know what? Um, it's a one owner and he's planning to invest the $1.2 uh, billion in a huge... Uh, uh, office space, commercial, oh, whatsoever. Or are we going to consider densifying? You're in the heart of Montreal. You're uh, near the Castineau Metro. You're walking distance from Park X. You're the heart of uh, Jean Talon Metro Station nearby. Maybe it makes sense to densify, mm -hmm. right? And so the logic of densifying around uh, mass transit is called a TOD, right? It's a transit-oriented development. Mm -hmm. If I want to develop in no man's land, well, obviously, I'm increasing traffic. If I'm developing around mass transit areas, well, then all of a sudden, I'm not increasing traffic, but I'm making sure that they have access to, to, to a mass transit that's able to take them from point A from point B. Mm -hmm. And rather than maybe having in a couple, two cars, they could limit themselves to one yeah. because they could share it, right? So we have to develop in ways and that uh, make more sense today. We, we're not developing like in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Well, there's uh, no space. So I agree with you in the sense that, you know, already uh, within Montreal, you're limited to begin with, right? And the disadvantage I think that Montreal has is that it's an island. Uh, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, we, was, we went to a baptism and he lives in Toronto. And uh, I asked him, uh, how's it going? How's Toronto? He goes, oh, it's amazing. And uh, I'm like, where do you live exactly? He lives half an hour outside of Toronto. Mm -hmm. But the mentality is, yeah, I live in Toronto. Uh, it's It has the room for expansion. Correct. 
Uh, and it's a huge, huge city. We don't have that advantage in Montreal. So the but, minute that you reach the, the, the river, well, the next yeah. city is not Montreal. But look at all the outskirts that are developing. I mean, Laval is uh, even further north than Laval now, uh, all the way up to Mirabelle. It's it's exploring. Mirabelle is uh, the South Shore. Uh, absolutely. So we all understand that, and and on the long run, Laval is going to become maybe in 20, 30 years what Montreal was still a few decades ago. Yeah. Right. Everyone is going to keep on growing. But as a, a manager of Montreal, as a, a, an elected official of Montreal, I have the responsibility of making sure that the land that's on uh, where we're at, we exploit it in an intelligent way. Yeah. And, um, and that brings in all the, um, uh, all the, the question of l'économie de partage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, the sharing economy, uh, sharing yeah. economy, uh, whether it's, uh, and look, it's not an accident that you have companies such as Cartago, Communauto and this and that, because, well, while the people leave during the day and they go to work and there's less cars parked on the street, well, others that work in the vicinity can come and use that space, right? Mm. And so that car doesn't belong to anyone but the community. And, yeah. and, and, and this is just one example, but space is value. Yeah. And once we understand that land is worth something, then we have to make sure that we develop we develop it in an intelligent manner. Yeah. It's not an accident that residential land is worth more than industrial land. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, if you're in an area that makes sense to have uh, residential, because you're in the heart of the city, because you're a proximity of mass transit, if you're in an area that is more logical to have residential that don't down uh a grade that land to industrial i understand what you're saying look i i you know can disagree with this for for hours i, I think that uh that project has the potential to revamp that whole area how it going to happen or I'm, of course we don't know but uh you know and it's and it's just to, 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 to look at the defaults now and to, to to point the finger and say look it doesn't work because of so and so um but i i you know by nature i'm an optimistic person i think it's a it, it's a very good project in an area that is rather very dull and because of the attention that it's going to bring in the area it could very well um uh, have that potential to revamp it look it made absolutely no sense for the ETS, the, the, the Ecole de Technologie Supérieure, to be built where it was. And that's what sparked that whole development for Griffintown. It was a school built in the middle of an industrial, uh, an industrial sector, and it completely transformed. But it. imagine if, rather than being 15 floors, imagine if the ETS wanted to be on a two-floor, seven-sized building. Okay. You, I understand what you're saying. Okay. Development does not equal uh, progress. Mm -hmm. Smart development means progress. Mm -hmm. And that's all we're saying. Yeah. We want a better project. Yeah. If Lotes was going to build uh, uh, on a two floor, uh, on four blocks, and a huge campus, 
where were you going to see the buildings around grow? Yeah. Right? That's all we're saying. Yeah. We're, we're saying, can we have a smarter project? Okay. We'll see how that goes. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer, man. I don't know if there's anything else you want to you want to talk about. Uh, this is officially the longest podcast <laughs> since, the, since the very beginning. <laughs> it's not Francesco that has a hard time uh, talking, and especially chatting with a friend is more than uh, a happy moment. I appreciate your time, man, honestly. And uh, I think that we don't see each other uh, as often as we would both like. Um, you always play the excuse that you're that you're busy. I played an excuse yeah. now. Okay, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. You know, we'll we'll act like you're actually busy uh, running the show there in Montreal. Um, we're we're gonna, uh, we're, gonna be, we're gonna be seeing each other anyway. Sit and, around uh, a beer. It's it's always a pleasure, man. Likewise, I appreciate thank it. you so much for your time.